The opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Topeka Capital Journal, CJ Online, or Morris Communications. It's time for Jim Cates at CJ Online. News, opinion, interviews, and community conversation, live and online. Join Jim and his guests by calling 295-1150 or emailing jim.cates at cjonline.com. And now, from the Topeka Capital Journal and cjonline.com, here's the Dean of Talk Radio in Topeka, Jim Cates. Good morning, Topeka. The Christmas season, it is upon us. I'll tell you, we've got, I think, what would be the utopian ideal gift to give your wife. If you're looking for a nice romantic gift, one that he or she will never forget, how about a gift certificate to keep the plumber? Hmm? Perfect. Now, Doug Wells and Jenning would enjoy that. Absolutely. Huh? She wakes up and she opens up her present that's under the tree, and there's a $50 gift certificate for to meet any of Janine's plumbing needs. Are you insinuating that I can't take care of her plumbing needs, Jim? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't think of a better gift because Janine could use this, well, 12 months out of the year because you never know when you're going to have that plumbing challenge. But Coop also is one of the leading repairers of furnaces in Topeka. And getting into the spring and summer season, he also is an expert when it comes to air conditioning repair. Folks, the ideal gift to 267-4100, but at the very least, if you're not going to give this as a Christmas gift, how about writing this phone number down? Because if you have that emergency, Coop does work 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So it's a good emergency number to have written down. Cooper Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, 267-4100. How are you doing, Mr. Wells? Very well, thanks, Jim. You were probably in Lawrence last night. Uh, uh, you've got season tickets. KU basketball, or did. I guess you still do. I don't this year. I have had. Uh, but I was in front of the TV watching. You don't this year? D chose not to. Really? Too many games. Hard to get it all scheduled. Yeah. Well, that's understandable. You were watching the game. I didn't. I guess there was a little controversy last night. Nah, he was fouled. He was fouled. He should have gone to the line. Now, Seven-tenths of a second left. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They, won the game of one. they won the game of one. Well, I'm delighted to hear that. You know, I'm, I am not anti-KU. I'm just very pro-K-State. That's where the wife's paycheck comes from. <laughs> well, a good yes, reason. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. And my uh, son lives in Manhattan currently. My grandson's headed there next year. Oh, wow. He's going to become a wildcat. Wow. Yes, I've got grandkids that old. I'll you you are old, Jim. I'm getting there. Lord knows I am getting there. Lots to talk about today. Uh, Doug, you're one of Topeka's leading attorneys, and years ago you branched off, and basically your specialty now is DUIs. With rare exceptions, DUIs all I do, yeah. That's pretty much it. And uh, thankfully, I've never had a DUI, and uh, I don't plan on having one in the future, but I did want to discuss... A commission that you've been serving on for the past year and a half, this is a DUI commission. I think that Governor Sebelius basically created this commission for you to take a look at our current DUI laws. 21 of you that served on the commission? 23. 23 on the commission. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a broad cross-section of Kansas, I suppose. Well, they say that, but really there's it was very prosecution law enforcement oriented. Um, there's... Uh, Several prosecutors, uh, three law enforcement types of victims' representatives, several agencies who enforce 
DUI parts of the law, so it's very slanted towards the prosecution law enforcement. Yeah, and even though I've never had a DUI, I think our DUI laws on the books are disgraceful, and it's as a result of the pressures from all oh, these militant groups such as MAD and GLAD and SAD and BAD. I don't know what all the acronyms mean, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, they've created a situation that it's just uh, its almost an embarrassment because it's so politically easy for an elected official, a legislator, to ramp up the DUI laws. I mean, who's going to support somebody that's drinking and driving? Nobody should, except now we've gotten to the point that it's become a feeding frenzy as far as just unreasonable laws on the books. Now, Doug, I want to give an example. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. That currently, as far as having a record expunged, in other words, folks, if you were convicted 15 years ago of a crime, now you've served your time. The punishment's over. It's possible to go to a lawyer, pay a lawyer uh, X number of dollars, and they can have that record of that crime stricken from your record. So it just kind of disappears. Well, that's true uh, with the exception of murder, child molestation, and drinking and driving. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely ridiculous. You can break into a store. You can do just about anything except kill somebody or rape somebody, and that record will disappear, with the exception of drinking and driving. That that may change. Uh, the DUI Commission did suggest that the, they permit expungement after 10 years. So uh, if you wait 10 years, if they pass, the legislature passes this, then you may be able to uh, get your, less, your record expunged from the DUI or a diversion after 10 years. Well, and it certainly needs to be changed. You know, we've talked about it on the show for the 14 years I've been hosting this show. The stupidity of some of our sentencing guidelines to where it takes at least three convictions if somebody's breaking into your home before there's a possibility of going to jail. And then if you are convicted and sentenced, now you get out of jail, you can have your record expunged to where it just kind of disappears and you can go back to a career of crime. But a DUR, it stays with you for life. Well, hopefully they will change that. It just makes no sense. Oh, hopefully they but will. Yeah, most crimes are uh, either three or five years to be expunged. The DUI will be the only one that will be as long as ten years, but at least there is a possibility to expunge. Now, just so your, your listeners are clear, the courts can still use expunged crimes against the person if they commit another crime. But in filing an application for employment or something like that, if it's expunged, you can say you weren't convicted. Okay. All right. Let's run down, Doug Wells, if we could, some of the proposed changes your commission came up with. And I say your commission, a lot of these votes were 22 to 1, I believe. <laughs> I'm afraid they were, yeah. <laughs> so our legislators are going to be taking a look at tougher DUI laws. And, folks, uh, again, don't think that we're making light of drinking and driving were not. This is Doug Wells' specialty, is defending people that have been, but neither one of us are making light of the fact that somebody that is drinking and driving, there should be accountability. You, you should not drive impaired, no question about it. Yep, and both of, us, uh, we're, both of us are saying that. But the current laws we have on the books, we'll be getting into uh, some of the other things that are on the books currently pertaining to, to DUIs. Uh, <laughs> Ridiculous. But let's talk about uh, some of the proposed tougher penalties that are right around the corner. Okay. Well, they're going to create a couple new crimes. Uh, one of them is uh, refusing a breath test. 
It used to be that your license would be suspended if you refused a breath test, but uh, that was not a crime. You could still be charged with DUI. You could still be convicted of DUI. But now they've created a new crime of DUI in addition to the license suspension, which has stiffer penalties than the DUI itself. So if you refuse a breath test, then you're going to be punished harder than if you were DUI and had a terrible breath test, um, it, which makes no sense. If you have a refusal conviction, then they're going to count as prior offenses all prior DUIs you had to ramp up the penalty of a refusal. Tech, let me, uh, I'm going to stop you as you're going through several of these. Uh, Again, we just elected a new congressman in the 3rd District, Kevin Yoder, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know Kevin well. I've met him on a couple of occasions. I'm somewhat in agreement with his voting record, I suppose. He's got a good reputation uh, in the community and in the state. Well, he was elected as congressman-elect sure. from Wyandotte and Johnson County. He obviously is well thought of over there. He was picked up not too long ago on 10 Highway on his way home. Mm -hmm from a legislative event, I guess, mm -hmm. and was picked up because he had had a glass of wine, mm -hmm. or two, I don't know, um, and he refused to take a breathalyzer. So in that case, Kevin Yoder would be considered a criminal. This would have been criminal activity because he refused to take the breathalyzer test. He would have been convicted if, under if the law changes the way it's recommended. He would have been convicted of a Class A misdemeanor, which is the highest misdemeanor there is, would have been punishable by a minimum of five days in consecutive days in jail. His license wow. would have been suspended for a year, followed by a one-year interlock device. Now the license suspension is current law now, but he would have had, he'd have been a criminal because he made the decision not to take it. Now, as I remember, he said he thought he'd passed all the tests and that it was unnecessary to take. Uh, or that was a preliminary breath test that he refused, or was it the regular breath test? Well, now, he had taken all of the tests, I think, on the side of the road to determine whether, in fact, he was impaired, and apparently he passed all of those tests. Yeah. So then he was asked to take a breathalyzer, and he said, nah, I've passed everything, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Now, they let him go. Oh, well, so, then, that was a preliminary breath test, then. That's different. That's the one out there, the handheld one on the field. Right. Okay. That they're not, they're, that's already a crime. It's a traffic infraction. Um, if the breath test is there's the one. breath test then? Yeah. There's the preliminary breath test that's the handheld one that you take out there on the road. All right. Now, if you refuse to take it, what happens? A, it's a traffic violation, $90 fine, and court costs. If, that's it. That's it. If you refuse the table model breath test at the station, then that's now going to become a crime that's punishable more severely than even if you're DUI. And you can be convicted of not only refusing the breath test or a blood test, whichever, but you can also be convicted of the DUI whether you took the test or not. So it's a double whammy now if they pass what they're proposing. Okay, so nothing's changing as far as that field breathalyzer. That's the same. That stays the same. Okay, I've never gone through any of this. I guess I wasn't aware there were two breath tests. I was thinking of some officer out on the field, no. on the side of the road, giving you a test, and if you refused it, you were going to lose your license and all of that. That's not the case. No. Okay. That's okay. the same. All right, so the breath test you're talking about, that's a more professional breath test that's actually administered 
you know, at the local jail, I guess, is where they would give that to you. At the local jail, you know, it's got some problems, too, in terms of the way it can be administered, in terms of whether it'll pick up other substances other than alcohol. So it's not a, a foolproof machine by a long stretch of the imagination. It assumes that everyone's an average person and has an average relationship in the way their body chemistry is, so it doesn't make adjustments for different people being different. So it's got some problems, too. Okay. But it's certainly more sophisticated than the handheld preliminary breath test. Okay. So in Yoder's case, Representative Yoder's case, uh, he wouldn't have served five days in jail for refusing that on-site Correct. Along the side of the road, breathalyzer. Correct. Okay. All right. Very good. Got that clarified. All right. Let's continue. What else is coming down the pike? By the way, folks, if you just tuned in, Doug Wells, a longtime friend of mine, uh, an attorney in Topeka for many, many years, and now he basically specializes in DUI situations and has been doing this for a number of years, and Doug has been serving on a committee for the past 18 months, if I got that right? Two years. Two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years, take a look, uh, a look-see at our current DUI laws, and as a result of this two-year commission study, it appears that there's going to be legislation introduced that's going to make uh, DUIs even, <laughs> the punishment even stronger yeah. uh, than what it is now. And I'll get into some of the examples uh, that I think are just absolutely ridiculous that we have on the books in a few minutes. But let's run through some of these proposed changes. They're going to create a new aggravated DUI, which is if you cause a severe bodily or great bodily harm or bodily harm to a person, then it's a felony punishable by mandatory prison time. So uh, uh, give you an example. If you're driving along, you're driving in your lane, the speed limit, but you've had too much to drink. Someone uh, walking on the road jumps in front of you and you hit him. Then you're going to prison. If uh, while Even though the crime wasn't your fault, sober, uh, 0.08.1, that yeah. person was still going to get run over. Yeah. Yeah. If you uh, uh, bump someone okay. and it causes them to get a hangnail. You're going to prison. No departure, and a departure means you can get out of the prison time. Uh, the way it's currently set up for most crimes, including um, homicides, including uh, other major crimes, there can be a presumption of prison that you can overcome under certain unique circumstances, or there can be a presumption of probation, not DUI. It's mandatory prison if you get an aggravated DUI. If you're involved in an accident, yeah, somebody, as you say, has a hangnail, any bodily injury, any bodily harm done, mandatory prison time. Mandatory prison. Okay. So, in other words, you can burn a house down in Topeka. You can desecrate. I'm just taking a look at what happened on Miniger Hill, the millions of dollars worth of damage that was done there mm-hmm. by some thug gangbangers. Uh, none of them served a day in jail because that's presumptive prison, to where they got a departure. But in case of a DUI, mandatory. No, it'd be for an aggravated DUI, yeah. Okay. Now, if, you have, if you're a fourth offense DUI or a third offense failure, and that includes ones that go back as far as 1996, if, you are, if they propose their, follow the proposals, mm-hmm. mandatory prison of at least in the range of 20 months plus. You're a level 5, excuse me, a level 7 non-person felon. And unlike any other crimes, 
you're going to prison, you can't get out of it, period, end of story. And again, with the exception of child molestation, murder, you can get out of most any situation as far as mandatory prison time, with a couple of exceptions, and DUI being basically the third exception to the rule. Depending on your your history, yeah. Mm, Okay. So uh, I'm not sure. So again, I'm going back to arson. I mean, you could burn downtown Topeka down to the ground, and you're not necessarily going to serve time in a lockup situation. If they'd have caught if you were caught. Convicted, sentence. The sentence doesn't necessarily mean mandatory prison time. Correct. It does if you're drinking and driving and happen to hit, sideswipe a car or something, if somebody's injured, then it's mandatory prison time. Mandatory, okay. Yeah. Mandatory prison. Well, it's absurd. And I'm not saying, you know, that a, a situation where you've got somebody behind the wheel that's drinking and driving, if somebody, if th- that uh, individual runs into somebody, if somebody's hurt, well, a judge should take a look possibly imprisonment. I don't disagree with that at all, depending on the situation. Some of these people drinking and driving should be imprisoned, you know, if it's their fourth or fifth DUI or maybe second or third, whatever. But mandatory with no exceptions to the rule? Yeah, for a fourth or greater or for any injury that is caused while you're DUI. Okay. Or for a second or for a third refusal. Counting prior DUIs as prior refusals. Okay. We have 50 states. How many states currently have gone to this extreme? Few. What they, what the, there are a few that have actually parts of it. Nebraska has done something similar to what is being proposed on the refusal part, although our penalties, I think, are stiffer than Nebraska's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona has done parts of what we're doing on the aggravated DUI. But what uh, has happened is that there's been cherry-picking of the most severe penalties in different states and brought them into Kansas in a lot of circumstances. And a concern I have is how are we going to pay for all these people in prison? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well, that one makes no sense. Okay. Let's continue. Um, they're going to do away with some courts that are handling DUIs now if they can't use the internet to report crimes and if they can't do um, a um, uh, risk assessment, a standardized risk assessment, then they'll no longer be in the DUI business. So what it means is that the smaller communities are going to be going through the district courts and uh, only the big cities are going to be handling DUIs. Is that good, bad, or indifferent? I guess I don't understand. Where's the? Let's take a look at it from the cost standpoint, from the taxpayer standpoint. Is this going to be more expensive? Probably less expensive a wash? Probably a wash okay. on that. Uh, Why should we be concerned about that? The um, It's an income source for certain small communities is the, the big reason. Um, certain times, especially in western Kansas, you want to have... Uh, you have a greater knowledge of people in your local community than you do in the county, uh, in the county seat, and uh, you lose some of the personal touch there. Okay, and the revenue, as you and, pointed out, and the so, revenue. Okay, so basically, we're depriving some of our smaller communities that might be arresting somebody for a DUI, to where that ultimate fine's going to end up in the coffers of a larger community. Is that what you're saying? Probably so. Yeah. Okay. So. DUI convictions, it's a source of revenue. 
Right. Okay. All right. Um, they're going to take a look at even first offenders and make a uh, better determination under the theory of this, these proposed changes, a better determination of what their treatment or uh, treatment needs are. And that's probably good. Uh, it's going to, it may cost just a touch more to, uh, to process a person, but the theory primarily is now first time offender, you do eight hours of a class and uh, it's pretty uniform that that occurs. The, the goal is to more conscientiously evaluate the person and determine if that's sufficient for them to eliminate a future problem. Okay. And that's probably good. I guess so. You know, I guess I'm looking at a common sense solution. And unfortunately, this is going, I think politics are going to come into play here because, again, I can't imagine many legislators are going to have the courage to stand up and say, no, we don't need tougher DUI laws. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, politics come into play. Whatever's introduced is probably going to be passed and uh, some of this goofiness along with it. And I understand, I guess, you know, classes for somebody that's convicted of a DUI on the second or third offense. Maybe now we're talking about somebody that's got a drinking problem, especially, you know, the third DUI conviction. It's time somebody does something. Yeah. You would think, you know, a lesson learned after the first. But so many people that I know, and I know several that have gotten a DUI, it will be their one and only DUI. They were on their way home from a Christmas party and were just barely over the limit. Mm -hmm. uh, do these people really need to go through counseling? And they, may, I, they probably don't. And uh, the, the system, as it's proposed, has the flexibility, I think, to say, the classes will be sufficient for those types of people. What they try to do is make a more individualized decision on whether or not there's a problem and they've just been fortunate and haven't gotten caught or if this is an isolated incident so that they can do a more needs-based determination. Doug Wells is my guest. If you've got some thoughts on some of these DUI proposals, you can email me at jim.cates at cjonline.com. We're going to take a break. While we're on break, folks, uh, if you want a little reading material I, uh, on break, well, let me reference you to Rick Anderson's Tuesday column. This is really cool. And, Doug, I know you're a fan of Lawrence. You're a fan of KU, so I assume you're a big Lawrence fan. You bet. Rick Anderson said it the best. You know, again, we have uh, outside consultants, God knows how many we've had, taking a look at downtown Topeka. What in the world do we do with downtown Topeka? Well, let me read this. And uh, it was in Rick's Tuesday column. It says, when the Lawrence Journal World recently asked random shoppers what stores they would like to see in Lawrence, the answer read, like a trip down southwest Wanamaker Road. They included Kmart, Dick's Sporting Goods, Toys R Us, Red Lobster, and Olive Garden, to name a few. Interesting, Lawrence shoppers want the things we have. And the downtown Topeka revitalization proponents are pushing for the kind of retail and entertainment offerings they have in downtown in Lawrence. Again, folks, we have it so good in this community if we would just open our eyes and wake up to the fact that we have so much in this community. If you can't find it in the Wanamaker Corridor, folks, chances are you can't find it anywhere. We've got it pretty good here. And again, Lawrence would love to have what we have on Wanamaker. They would love to have a Kmart's, Dick's Sporting Goods, Toys R Us, Red Lobster, Olive Garden. You know, let's be thankful for what we've got, the convenience we have here in Topeka. There's just so much to offer. 
and maybe it's time that uh, we go through the year 2011 without spending money for yet another outstate consultant to tell us what we need to do with downtown Topeka. We've got it pretty good in this community, and I thought Rick Anderson said it so well. If you want some more reading material, Pat Buchanan. Doug, I've been a Pat Buchanan fan for years. Well, if you go to the Drudge Report, uh, folks, they have a list of a lot of right-of-center uh, conservative columnists, most, most of which I don't read, but I am a huge Pat Buchanan supporter because Pat, over the years, has made so much sense, so much common sense coming to play, especially when it comes to defense spending. Well, his November the 26th column, he's talking about North Korea. And again, Pat Buchanan is asking the question that several of us are asking, why in God's name, after 60 years, are we still there? What are we doing there? You know, we're borrowing money from Europe so we can spend this money to defend Europe. We're borrowing money from Japan and China so we can defend China from China, uh, Japan from China. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. North Korea, South Korea, whatever's going on over there, it is their problem, their fight. Now, of course, we side with South Korea. But the first person killed in this war, which in all probability now is going to break out, should it be an American? Should we be the first to die? And what is clearly a North and South Korean conflict. Years ago, back in 1950, we had the threat of China, the threat of Russia, siding with North Korea. Well, both China and Russia have said, hey, we're out of this one. <laughs> we don't have a dog in this hunt. Well, hell, we still do. Why in the world is Obama sending one of our carriers now into the South and North Korea streets. Why are we getting involved in this one? Folks, it doesn't make any sense. And it goes back to what we've been talking about for years. You know, if we're going to balance our books in this country, if we're going to straighten this out, we've got to take a look at defense spending. And Buchanan has been writing about this for years. Why in God's name do we still have 30,000 troops on the Korean border? The threat's not Russia or China now. This is a conflict between North and South Korea. Let's hope South Korea wins and wins decisively, but let's don't kill any more Americans in this war. Why do we have 40,000 troops in Japan? Their economy now is stronger than ours, for God's sake. Why do we have 70,000 troops in Germany? They've got the fourth strongest economy in the world. You know, they're about to pass us as well. Why 70,000 troops there when we can bring these troops home, cut our military, cut defense spending? If you have a chance, read his column. It's a good one. We'll be back. Stay tuned. More to come. TJOnline.com has been upgraded, and it's an entirely new way for you to experience your community. More than ever, CJOnline.com has what you need when you need it. As your morning starts, CJOnline.com is updated with overnight news, weather, and the morning buzz. Throughout the day, they bring you developing stories, interaction, and commentary. In the evening, they recap the day in news and sports and feature their local bloggers. Experience the local news and sports at CJOnline.com. Your 24-7 Northeast Kansas news connection. Every three minutes, another woman gets the news that she has breast cancer. And here are some of the first words she hears. Her two new oncogene, aromatase inhibitor, ductile carcinoma in situ. What do these words mean? How are you going to decide what to do if you can't even say what you have? This is Olivia Newton-John. As soon as you get your diagnosis, you can go to breastcancer.org. It's a special place on the Internet where you can learn how to say all those breast cancer words 
and find out what they mean. At breastcancer.org, you can learn more about your particular kind of cancer and your treatment options. Prepare a list of questions for your next doctor's visit and get all kinds of other useful information to guide you and your family through this. Breastcancer.org The first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Canada Drug of Topeka Provides a safe and easy way Of delivering prescriptions to your door And saving you money every day Are your medication costs spiraling out of control? Is Plan D really saving you any money once you reach the donut hole? For many of us, saving money on skyrocketing medication costs has become a vital way of controlling those tight monthly budgets. I'm Eric with Canada Drug. We're locally owned and operated, have been for over five years, serving your friends and neighbors, helping them save thousands of dollars yearly on essential prescription medications. To find out how you can have more medication at the end of your month for less money, call us at Canada Drug today, 785-272-6100, or visit us just east of Wanamaker on 17th between Applebee's and McDonald's. Canada Drug of Topeka, 272-6100. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. We're back with Jim Cates at cjonline.com, your source for live Internet news, opinion, interviews, and conversation in Topeka. Here's Jim. Okay, we are back, Brickhouse Antiques, folks. If you haven't started your Christmas decorating, Doug, have you started? Uh, up? I, I carried some boxes up from the basement. Well, that's not bad. That's a start. That's a start. <laughs> Well, if uh, Janine is looking for unique Christmas decorations, ornaments, what have you, mm-hmm. Brickhouse Antiques, you know, if you want to take that trip back in time, back when you and I were kids, and, you know, Brickhouse Antiques just has a store full now of old antique Christmas decorations. Mm-hmm. That's one of the many things they've got at Brickhouse Antiques. So, again, if you're looking for that nostalgia trip, possibly this year, run out to Brickhouse Antiques and see what they have in the way of Old Christmas ornaments, the whole nine yards. And you can find it at 37th and Burlingame. In fact, you can find just about anything in there in the way of an antique. It's a fun, fun place to shop. If, in fact, you've got antiques on your Christmas wish list, take a look at Brickhouse Antiques. And, again, they're open seven days a week. Uh, You can call them at any time to find out whether they have a specific item you might be looking for. 266-6000. Brickhouse Antiques. Doug Wells is my guest. Coming in at 9 o'clock, Lee Hartman, John Arnold. We're going to be talking about the top stories of the week. And uh, 10 o'clock, Dave Jackson, Lawn and Garden Tips. Monday, Tim Rencher, my good buddy Tim Rencher, is going to be on talking about City Hall and Courthouse issues, as always. At 8.30, Joseph Crysdale, this is the former United Press International Bureau Chief for Canada, is going to be on as a phone guest, and we're going to be talking about this WikiLeaks uh, story, and it's quite a story indeed, and Joseph has been personally touched by this. So that's coming up Monday, and then Merle Blair is coming in. I know many of you are familiar with Merle Blair. I still listen to his weekend show. I love, love the old music. 
And Merle spent about 50 years in Topeka Radio. We're going to be taking a trip down memory lane Monday, and that's coming up about 9.30. That's our schedule. And with me until 9 o'clock this morning, Doug Wells. And we're talking about, Doug is uh, an attorney in Topeka, basically is specializing now in DUIs. And uh, Doug, for the past two years, has been serving on a 23-member commission, taking a look at our current DUI laws and what we need to do to change them. Well, the votes, Doug, as you pointed out, a lot of these votes were 22 to 1, (laughs) because you were serving with a lot of politicos that can get some political mileage, quite frankly, out of strengthening our DUIs. On the surface, that's what most of our voters think we need. Well, there's a lot of reasons why we don't, but... But that's basically where we stand now. Uh, out of all the proposals, because you opposed most of what uh, our, the rest of the committee was in favor of, is there anything good to come out of this that truly is going to be more balanced as opposed to something that mad and sad and bad's promoting? Yeah, you bet. There, there are some good things. The expungement is a good change that I've earlier talked about. Uh, there, instead of suspending a person for as long as they were, they're creating an opportunity for interlock. Uh, an interlock device is something that you install on the car and you have to blow into it. If you have alcohol in your system, then it won't let you drive the car, and it records it in the database of the machine so that if you're driving when you're not supposed to as a term of probation, then you can get in trouble with the courts, um, and you're not going to be able to drive drunk. Uh, so. What they're doing is proposing that interlock be used for part of the time that you would otherwise be suspended with the thought being that then people can go to and from work and perform a function in their life. It's better than suspension because you can't drive if you have alcohol in your system. If you are suspended, then you're going to drive anyway. Mm-hmm. Whether okay. you uh, have, uh, whether or not you um, uh, are suspended or not, so you're still going to have the person who's impa- impaired. Whereas with the interlock, that same person would blow. If you don't blow in the machine, you don't start the car. If you blow positive, then the car won't start. So it's, it creates a safer environment. So that's a good plus. Okay. What would stop somebody if you uh, have to blow into the car to get your car started? You've got two passengers in the car. One's been drinking, one hasn't. Why couldn't the non-drinking passenger blow for you? It would be a crime to do that. It would increase the period of time that your license would be affected for the person who was supposed to blow. They, they are proposing that there be a uh, photograph recognition system on the interlock device so that you can, and I don't know how this works, so that you can confirm who the person that's blowing is. In other words, there's no DNA, so to speak, if, uh, uh, if I'm, you and I are passengers in the same car you've been drinking, I haven't. If I blow into this device, there's no DNA that's going to detect that as my breath rather than yours. No. Okay. That'd be way too expensive, I think. Okay. All right. Very good. Something else. Uh, I don't know whether you took a look at this, Doug Wells, or not. It's a situation a legislator, and I'm not going to give the individual's name out. I'm not going to embarrass the legislator. But one that was picked up over the past couple of years uh, on a DUI was tried and convicted. And this was a situation to where the legislator had been drinking Got out on the highway, realized 
that he had too much to drink, pulled over into a quick shop parking lot to sleep it off because mm-hmm. he knew he shouldn't be out on the streets. Mm-hmm. He was on his way home. And um, at any rate, law enforcement officer pulled into the quick shop, found him asleep in his car. To make a long story short, he was over the limit, no doubt about it, but had sense enough to get off the road. He was arrested, convicted of a DUI. The law enforcement officer did not see him behind the wheel of a car out on the streets. Mm-hmm. There was no no problem. Uh, there were no complaints from anybody filed referencing this guy driving. Nobody saw him driving. Mm-hmm. He was responsible enough that he pulled over to sleep sleep it off to where he would then be sober when he, again, went out on the highway. And they got a DUI. At least one state has what they call a stationary shelter rule, um, where if you do exactly that, determine that you shouldn't be driving, pull over to sleep it off, then that's a defense to the DUI as it should be because the roads are safer because you made the right decision. Bingo. Uh, The way it is now, instead of doing the right thing and pulling over to sleep it off, you're motivated to keep driving so you can get to your home where it's safe because sleeping it off isn't safe. Yeah, it's a good common sense approach. What state has the stationary shelter now? It's either Oregon or Washington. And some states recognize it. Um, I proposed that that become a part of the bill in the DUI commission. Do you want to guess what the outcome of that was? Why would anybody oppose that? Because, again, it appears to be a common sense solution. Well... It's hard to speak for other people. They didn't want to excuse drunken driving. They didn't want to create a new offense. The attitude is more pro-law enforcement in the commission than it is to do, I mean, they're trying to do the right thing. I don't want to be misled. And these people gave up a lot of their time to try to put together a product that they were comfortable with. That common sense solution made sense to me. It didn't to the rest of the people in the subcommittee. Now, that surprises me because, again, the stationary shelter, I had never heard the term before. Again, in terms of good public policy, it makes all the sense in the world. Now you've got that driver that is impaired off the streets. That's the purpose of DUI legislation, I thought. That's what I was to get the drinking driver off the streets. I would think glad and bad and sad and mad would be behind this as far as the stationary shelter rule. If their goal truly is to get that drinking driver off the streets, where were this where were these groups? Um, the, everyone was opposed to it who is the strong DUI increase in the penalties group. Huh. Um, and the, the reason that they said was, well, then they can start driving again. Well, well sure. But the, you've given them an opportunity to succeed and be safe. If somebody's responsible enough to know that they've had too much to drink and they've pulled off the road, I doubt if they're going to get back out on the road and drive again drunk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Kansas, you say several states, this is kind of a gray area, to where stationary shelter, uh, the stationary shelter situation can be used uh, in terms of a defense. What about Kansas? Kansas Appellate Court has not ruled on it, although in one case they cited that the reason for the DUIs is to protect safe streets. Therefore, a person shouldn't be penalized for not driving. Um, uh, 
that really didn't directly address the issue of the stationary shelter, but uh, it hasn't come through exactly like that in the Kansas courts yet. So it's just waiting there for a decision. I've argued it on a couple cases without success. Okay. Okay. Well, again, the defense just, uh, you know, it, it appears that's just a good common sense solution if you're out drinking. If you're going to a Christmas party, folks, if you've had too much to drink, common sense-wise, if you know that, pull over. Now, is there a situation to where you can pull over and you're going to be okay if you put the keys in the trunk of the car or something? Is there a rule in Kansas that if you don't have access to the keys to your car? No. There's no exceptions to the rule. The, the rule in Kansas is that if you're driving or attempting to drive, that you can be convicted of DUI. Uh, the problem, you can prove driving by circumstantial evidence, which means the car had to get there somehow. You were the only person in it, let's say. So you had to have gotten the car there. So circumstantial evidence would show you had to drive it there. And if you're impaired when you were stopped, then you must have been impaired when you got there. Okay. Even though somebody that's leaving a bar late at night, obviously they were sober when they came to the bar. Right. Now they've had too much to drink in the bar. They go outside and get it in their car. Now they're outside the bar. And they're thinking, gee, I better not take that trip down Fairlawn because I've had too much to drink. I'm going to stay in my car. And, again, sleep it off. Now, there was a person that didn't pull in to a parking lot because they had been drinking. They are not leaving the parking lot because now they know. <laughs> yeah. I think, again, that's, I think that's still a good defense um, because they didn't drive impaired. They didn't attempt to drive impaired. And the, the logic is that uh, there would have been a change of condition from the time you drove there to the time you were, could have left. Just like you said, uh, sober when they came in and not when they left. So probably that would be a good defense since even under the current law, there's no attempt to drive. There's no actual driving after you were impaired. Right. It's right. the person that pulls over mm -hmm. after they've driven. And I've had it uh, occur where they pulled in the parking lot for a period of time and determined they shouldn't drive and pulled over, and they've still been prosecuted. Well, okay. Since we're imposing... You know, these type of penalties, or it appears that we're going to in 2011, and I've heard a lot of the tougher DUI proponents say, well, it should be a criminal act because you are knowingly committing a crime when you have that third beer, mm -hmm. which I just shake my head. But at any rate, if we're doing that, because somebody that's having their third beer, they knowingly are committing a crime, so let's take them to El Dorado and let's lock them up for a couple of years. Are we also going to do that with somebody texting on the road? Because they are knowingly now committing a crime as well. In other words, don't we have to get common sense into play at some point in time? I am much more afraid of somebody texting as they're going down the interstate at 75 miles an hour right on my bumper as opposed to somebody that might have had two beers. Yeah. I'll take the person that's had two beers that's going to be much more alert than somebody that's looking down in their lap as they're texting a message to their boy or girlfriend. Yeah. So is, did this DUI commission take into consideration talking on a cell phone, texting, same penalty is going to be applied? No. Um, Why not? 
the exclusive focus was DUI, so they didn't want to get into multiple subjects uh, in, in terms of that. I think that some of the senators and representatives supported the texting, you know, criminalization that occurred last year, but they're not going with the same penalties. The second answer to your question is that there are not the advocacy, strength of the advocacy, advocacy groups for that as there are for DUI. Yeah. And I know the Capital Journal was, what day was this? Last Sunday. Uh, you know, we're talking about DUI-related deaths on the highway. And folks, again, I hope if you're listening this morning, you don't think we're making light of drinking and driving. We're not. What we're trying to do is to get a common sense solution mm -hmm. rather than taking a look at an emotional solution to a problem. Mm -hmm. And drinking and driving, obviously, it is a problem. If you've got somebody out on the highway that's impaired, obviously, we need to do something. But shouldn't we have some common sense come into play? And I just don't think we're there. I so. agree. I agree. It's so. a... The, the punishment doesn't merit the crime and the lack of flexibility to do what's right for the person in the situation by the courts has been eliminated. Yeah, yeah. Well, it goes back to the smoking ban, and I'm not defending smoking. In fact, I've had two cigarettes this month so far. So, Congratulations. Well, yeah, I don't know that I'm ever going to quit, but I am down to where I just have a cigarette or two a day, and that's it, and comfortable doing that. But the point being, I still think it's so hypocritical, so hypocritical, that we have this statewide smoking ban in bars. Mm -hmm. Again, I go back to the fact that, uh, and I'm not defending smoking, folks. There's not much good that you can say about smoking other than it's an individual choice. And it should be up to that business owner to determine whether they're going to allow smoking in an adult-only environment. Folks, hey, kids, you shouldn't take your kids to a bar in the first place. That A bar is for adults, not children. And a bar, if you walk into a bar, you're not walking into a health club. There's no treadmills at tailgaters. Uh, there's no weight machines at bullfrogs. These are not health clubs. If you're that concerned about your health, stay the hell out of a bar. It's that simple. And again, folks, I think, well, tailgaters, good example, did it right. They opened up a bar years ago, mm -hmm. and 90% of the bar was smoke-free. They had a section set aside for those that wanted to smoke. Right. That was a business owner decision. Right. Well, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. They you can't do it. You've got to ban smokers altogether, yep. you know, which is, again, again, no common sense applied whatsoever. Kansas, our law in Kansas, we have excluded casinos. Now, again, the argument uh, for banning smoke, it causes lung cancer, causes emphysema, secondary smoke, causes allergies, the whole nine yards. Well, apparently, casino employees, I guess they're not susceptible to lung cancer. <laughs> they must not be susceptible to emphysema. And apparently, uh, nobody is susceptible to uh, being allergic to smoke. It goes to a casino. Hypocrisy? Yep. Maybe we exempted casinos because of money? Maybe. Yeah. Exactly what Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri started that trend, by the way. Huh. They have a citywide smoking ban in Kansas City, with the exception of casinos. Yeah. A little hypocrisy, which we certainly have, and again, it goes back to, you know, I look at texting. Very, very dangerous. If you're texting while driving, yep. you're going down the highway at 75 miles an hour, 
and now you're texting your girlfriend or boyfriend. That's not dangerous? Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. And uh, equally as dangerous as somebody that's loaded on four or five beers. So, again, something that bothers me, an example, well, I'll get into the example. But, folks, currently we have a situation in Kansas years ago. You had to be a point one of alcohol in your bloodstream for that to be considered a DUI. Well, a few years ago, our National Department of Transportation, I believe it was, came into all 50 states and said, you know, do whatever you want to do. But I would suggest lowering your DUI laws to 0.08 from 0.1. If you don't, we're just going to hold back highway funding yep. the highways in your states. Exactly what happened. And so every state had to comply with this federal mandate. Basically, it was a mandate. You know, it was just uh, blackmail is what it was. So every state had to lower their DUIs to 0.08. Well, 0.08, folks, you're talking about uh, two beers for a male could put you over the top as far as 0.08. There is a tremendous difference, I guess, is where I'm going with this, from being at 0.08 and 0.1. Big difference. 0.1. You're loaded. I mean, you are impaired at point one. At point oh eight, the level of impairment is going to be substantially reduced. Shouldn't we have a two-tiered system? And I understand somebody point oh eight, you know, ticket them drinking while driving, but driving under the influence. Why don't we have a two-tiered system? I don't know the answer to that. Um, Shouldn't we? There, there, there has been conversation about establishing an aggravated DUI at a .15, which would mean mandatory prison time and uh, tax, you know, increase uh, potentially to fund the uh, the increased prisoners. Um, I, I'm not much in favor of that because I just see the legislature then lowering and lowering one of the two levels. And um, I agree with you that at a point oh eight that people shouldn't be considered impaired. It should be a higher level than that. Unfortunately, I don't see that the, the, the legislature going backwards, and I don't see the federal mandates, the cram-down provisions, going away. So I think we're just stuck with what we're stuck with. My concern is that they'll just keep lowering and lowering, and I think oh eight's too low already. Situation years ago. We had just gone to point oh eight. I was sitting at uh, the vintage with several legislators, and we were having a few beers. And a judge, Shawnee County judge, was coming out of the dining room and came over to the table to say hi to a couple of the legislators, was asked to sit down and join us. Mm -hmm. And he politely declined. He says, no, uh, I had a glass of wine for dinner, and I'm on my way to uh, a bar, 29th and Arrowhead. And he says, I'm meeting some friends, and I know I'm going to have another glass of wine there. Mm -hmm. And he says, I just don't, want to, just don't want to have that third glass of wine. But thanks for the invitation. To make a long story short, this individual went to this uh, bar at 29th and Arrowhead. You probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I might. And uh, had a glass of wine, met some friends. He was on his way home, left the bar. He happened to live a block from 29th and Arrowhead was ticketed for a DUI on his way home. And this individual was very slight of build. Two glasses of wine put him over the top on .08. This guy was no more impaired than you and I are sitting here today and was given a DUI. And uh, 
ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Too, it's too low. Yeah. And again, folks, don't drink and drive. If you do, you should pay the penalty. But I'm just saying some of these penalties are unrealistic. And uh, they're set for a level that is too low. Yeah. Doug, let's take a quick break, okay? Sounds good. Doug Wells is my guest. Stay tuned. More to come. I'm Jim Cates. KKOnline.com has been upgraded, and it's an entirely new way for you to experience your community. More than ever, CJOnline.com has what you need when you need it. As your morning starts, CJOnline.com is updated with overnight news, weather, and the morning buzz. Throughout the day, they bring you developing stories, interaction, and commentary. In the evening, they recap the day in news and sports and feature their local bloggers. Experience local news and sports at CJOnline.com. Your 24-7 Northeast Kansas News Connection. Every three minutes, another woman gets the news that she has breast cancer. And here are some of the first words she hears. Her two new oncogene, aromatase inhibitor, ductile carcinoma in situ. What do these words mean? How are you going to decide what to do if you can't even say what you have? This is Olivia Newton-John. As soon as you get your diagnosis, you can go to breastcancer.org. It's a special place on the Internet where you can learn how to say all those breast cancer words and find out what they mean. At breastcancer.org, you can learn more about your particular kind of cancer and your treatment options. Prepare a list of questions for your next doctor's visit and get all kinds of other useful information to guide you and your family through this. Breastcancer.org, the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Canada Drug of Topeka provides a safe and easy way of delivering prescriptions to your door and saving you money every day. Are your medication costs spiraling out of control? Is Plan B really saving you any money once you reach the donut hole? For many of us, saving money on skyrocketing medication costs has become a vital way of controlling those tight monthly budgets. I'm Eric with Canada Drug. We're locally owned and operated, have been for over five years, serving your friends and neighbors, helping them save thousands of dollars yearly on essential prescription medications. To find out how you can have more medication at the end of your month for less money, call us at Canada Drug today, 785-272-6100, or visit us just east of Wanamaker on 17th, between Applebee's and McDonald's. Savings for everybody, we're Canada Drug. Canada Drug of Topeka. 272-6100. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. We're back with Jim Cates at cjonline.com, your source for live Internet news, opinion, interviews, and conversation in Topeka. Here's Jim. Okay, we are back. Okay, uh, Golden Corral. Folks, if you're looking for a romantic dinner, what could be more romantic than... All-you-can-eat holiday food fair. Can't beat that. I don't think so. I mean, we're talking about ham. We're talking about turkey. We're talking about what you traditionally would eat during the holiday season. Well, they've got that on the buffet line. 
Now at the Golden Corral, 16th and Wanamaker, folks, check it out for $10, all you can eat. You can go in there at 5 o'clock in the evening, Well, you can go in at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Stay until 5 o'clock. You can just graze all afternoon. All you can eat. No limit. No limit. Can't beat that. Oh, no. Very romantic setting, huh? Sure. Huh? Absolutely. See another gift uh, idea for Jenny, <laughs> huh? All kinds of them. Well, I sure appreciate that. Now, yeah. are you going to buy them for me? Well, uh, no. Probably won't do that. <laughs> Daryl Dahman, Golden Crowd. Check it out, folks. Great, great, great holiday food fair. Doug Wells is my guest, and I know, Doug, you've got uh, to leave in a few minutes. There will be legislation introduced as a result of Sebelius' commission, no doubt about it. In all probability, we are going to see the DUI laws uh, toughened. I go back to the smoking uh, ban mm-hmm. legislation years ago. If you're looking at the demographics of a smoker, now you're a Democrat, I'm a Republican. More Democrats demographically smoke than Republicans for whatever reason. But if you take a look at who was defending smokers' rights, it was your conservative Republicans that basically said no to a smoking ban, even though that wasn't their conservative, uh, that wasn't their constituent base. Mm-hmm. Democrats basically were the ones that said yes to a smoking ban, even though demographically more Democrats than Republicans smoke. Now let's take a look at DUIs. Are we going to see this as a philosophical battle? Are we going to see this breaking down on partisan lines? Uh, you served with 22 of these people. What uh, What's going to happen uh, in terms of party lines on DUI legislation? I don't see that... Lee Hartman just walked in. He's going to be joining us in a few minutes. Perfect, perfect. I, I don't see that there's a political split there. I think that it, it's so unattractive to vote in favor of doing anything but making stronger DUI laws. Yeah. So I think the Democrats and the Republicans are both going to be uh, on board at making a lot of these changes. Hey, uh, Doug, they, you they shouldn't, though, because of the individual rights on the refusal. I think that a person should be able to refuse, even if their logic is not right at the time, without being criminalized. Yep. Okay, uh, and I know you've got to run. Doug, we're looking at uh, this coming up this year. It's, it's in all probability, is going to pass. The, so, the folks, last meeting is December 13th, and then I expect that a final bill will be created and it will be pre-filed for the legislature this, legislature this session. Okay. Was this pretty much this 23-member panel uh, evenly divided, Republicans, Democrats? I know a Republican, I believe, actually chaired the panel. Tim Owens uh, out of Kansas City area was uh, uh, the sponsor of the bill that created the DUI commission and is a very strong advocate of it. There were... Two Democrats, two Republicans. Uh, one Democrat and one Republican from the Senate, one Republican and Democrat from the House. Okay. During all of your discussions for two years on beer drinking, basically what we're talking about, in effect, Okay. was alcohol basically 99% of the conversation? Or did you get into illegal drugs? If we take a look at DUIs, DUIs, deals with driving under the influence of alcohol or an illegal substance. Now, we had how many DUI arrests in Shawnee County last year? 1,000, 500, whatever. 99% of those, would you guess, would have been alcohol-related? Correct. 
Yeah. Very few, if any, DUI arrests are ever made for driving under the influence of an illegal substance. Does that mean nobody in Topeka smoking pot? The, I think that the volume of the changes that were discussed with the drinking part overwhelmed the committee for two years. So alcohol, uh, drugs weren't discussed. So in other words, this crap uh, about a war on drugs in this country, that's what it is. We, we still have a tiff on drugs, not a war. Yeah. The problem with the drugs is that if you get into that, then are you going to be penalizing someone who uses a prescribed drug in a prescribed amount for driving with that drug on board? Yeah. And that's the problem with that. Yeah. Um, and you got grandma out there who is taking what she's supposed to be taking so that she could be healthy. Are you going to DUI her? Yeah. Well, she's on crack, I DUI, I suppose. <coughs> but again, we might get into this conversation next hour, you know, on DUI. Or, well, drugs. Because I don't know where I stand on this issue anymore. I'm not a drug user. You know, I've missed that generation by a couple of years. But we've got three options. Either one, we can continue this nonsense of a war on drugs, which we've never fought a war on drugs. Or we can legalize the whole thing. The third option to me is the one that makes no sense whatsoever. And that's decriminalize drug activity. Because if you decriminalize it, what you're doing basically is saying you can go out and buy a few joints. Now, keep in mind, when you're buying these joints, this money is still going into a drug dealer's pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, To me, that makes no sense. 30,000 Mexicans died last year because you know, of our drug consumption. So why should we decriminalize it and still encourage the Mexicans to bring tons of marijuana into our country? We're still funding illegal drug dealers by decriminalization. Yeah. Go one way or the other. We'll find out where Lee Hartman stands on it. We'll do that. Okay. Hey, my friend, I appreciate you coming in as always. Thank you for having me, Jim. Jared Andy, Doug Wells. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. 
Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers top-of-the-line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, L.A. Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Foydenhouse, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Frost line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lower Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. Okay, well, we just spent an hour talking about uh, DUIs. What a great opportunity to promote one of our sponsors, Jeremiah Bullfrogs, folks, if you're looking for a good place to go have a beer after work. Well, that's it, because they've got 55 TVs, and there is no game that is televised nationwide, virtually no game, that they can't pull in off of their satellites. So, you know, if you're coming in from Sioux Falls, if you're coming in from Bismarck, if you're coming in from anywhere to Topeka and your team has a televised game, all you have to do is ask the staff at uh, Jeremiah Bullfrogs to pick up that game for you. And if it's out there on the satellite, they'll pull it in because they've got 55 TVs in Jeremiah Bullfrogs to where they can have a TV tuned into your game. Check it out. And again, we're getting into chilly weather. Well, 12 months out of the year is chilly season for me. I love good chili. And if you like hot, spicy chili, well, you've got to try the chili at Jeremiah Bullfrog's 29th and Wanamaker. Good morning, Lee Hartman. Good morning. Good to have you with us, my friend. And joining us by phone, good morning, John Arnold. Good morning, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? Well, I am doing well. I enjoyed the segment with Doug. Well, let's get into that a little. Uh, Lee Hartman, I know you were walking in kind of at the tail end. We spent an hour, if you just tuned in, folks, to bring you up to date, and I'll bring Lee up to date, that two years ago our governor, Sebelius, uh, created a commission, a 23-member commission, to take a look at our current DUI laws, what we currently have on the books, and where we need to go in terms of DUI legislation if we need to go anywhere. Well, Doug Wells uh, has been a friend for years, and I want to say that I've never been to Doug <laughs> as a client. I've never had a DUI, but Doug and I are friends, and Doug specializes in DUI uh, representation, and uh, he's probably the state's leading expert. So he was put on uh, this commission as kind of a balance, I suppose. But some of the proposals me are just outrageous. Some of what we have on the books, Lee Hartman, uh, John heard this during the first hour, is outrageous in the respect that if you're convicted of a crime, and at some point in time you want that crime taken off the books, well, if you've killed somebody, that's going to be with you for life as a convicted felon. Murders can't, can't be expunged from your records. If you uh, molested a child, 
That can't be expunged. If you're convicted of rape, that can never be expunged. And if you're convicted of a DUI, that can never be expunged. Virtually everything else can. So we've got somebody that has had three beers and is picked up, tried, convicted, and sentenced. He's, he or she's now in the same category as a child molester, a rapist, or a murderer. Does this make good sense to either one of you? That's a little bit extreme, it seems to me, Jim. <laughs> well, a little bit. With, hmm? I guess that's your point. That's my whole point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the, the DUI part doesn't quite rank up there with the others. Uh, you know. Lee, pull your mic in just as close as you can. There you go. You got her. Okay. okay. Yeah, you know, it's not uh, the same caliber, the same level of crime. Uh, whether or not any of those should be on your record permanently is another matter. But, you know, we have, uh, in this country, we have Judeo-Christian values. We believe in people getting second chances. But when it comes to some of those crimes, you know, even if people change and, and uh, turn their life around, there's some things you just don't want to be wiped clean off, off the slate, and there's good reasons for those. But the DUI part, I'm not sure that ranks up there with the others. John, your comments. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear Lee. Um, oh, couldn't hear him at all? I couldn't understand. It wasn't loud enough to understand. All right, Lee, I'm going to have you uh, flip over here to... Uh, okay, I was having a little difficulty as well. I think we've got a challenge with that mic. Lee, I know this one's much better. Lee basically was saying the same thing uh, as I was saying, John, that, uh, again, it just doesn't appear to make any sense to have somebody that's uh, convicted of having three beers thrown in the same category with a rapist, a child molester, and a murderer. Where do you stand on it? Oh, no, I agree. Uh, it, it, it clearly isn't the same thing. And you used the example with Doug talking about a point eight being too, too low because uh, you mentioned a judge who got a DUI for, after having two glasses of wine. Um, over uh, two different places, uh, but you know that that's uh, we've gone too far, I think, on on the DUI enforcement. Um, Should we go to a two-tiered system? You know, and again, uh, Lee Hartman years ago, Kansas, as most states, had a point one for a level of intoxication. Then the federal government stepped in, and they said, "You will lower it to .08. If you don't, we're going to pull your highway funding." Well, there was no state that could say, hey, hang it in your ear. We need your money. So we will lower our DUI limits to 0 0.08. <laughs> well, 0.08, the difference between a 0.08 and a 0.1 is a dramatic difference. A 0.08, the level of impairment, it's slight. At 0.1, you're impaired. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Shouldn't we have, or should we look at a two-tiered system that a fine or the penalty for a .08 would be different than somebody that's over .1? Does that make sense to either one of you, both of you? Yeah, it makes sense to always have um, progression in in the level of criminality. You know, um, we do that with everything else. You know, it, it's different if you steal a hundred dollars than if you steal a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, and then if you steal $100 million, well, then it's different entirely. You get, you get off, uh, basically. But um, I think ha having it uh, escalate based on level of impairment makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, 
you know, it's kind of like they do with speeding tickets. Uh, you know, to a certain level, even there's a, there's a way to have it taken off your record. But when it gets to higher levels, the fine gets more and more. So I can see where that would be a similar system might work. You betcha. Lee, we didn't properly <coughs> introduce you. <coughs> you are the editor and publisher of the Metro Voice. What is the Metro Voice? What's it all about? Where can you get a copy? <laughs> okay, the Metro Voice is a, a free monthly newspaper. It's basically a Christian family paper here in Topeka. Uh, it's uh, really the only newspaper uh, that's available citywide besides the Capital Journal. So uh, we kind of tend to cover stories from a little bit different uh, angle, uh, more of a Judeo-Christian viewpoint and not as secular as, as a daily paper might be. And it's uh, totally supported by advertising. You can get it at over 500 locations here in town. We have it at churches and grocery stores and businesses and restaurants. That's about anywhere you want to pick it up, and it's free. Yeah. And check it out, folks. Uh, it's a great publication. In fact, it's kind of replaced uh, the Metro News. The focus is a little different, but uh, I'm looking at the Metro Voice. And you've got Rob Mooney. You've got Peggy Mooney. Right. And two that used to write for the Metro News. True. That are now writing for the Metro Voice. So, folks, uh, check it out when you have a chance. And we'll talk about that a little later in the show. I'm not going to reintroduce John Arnold. Lord, John's been doing this for two years. Uh, you don't know who John Arnold is by now, folks. <laughs> you haven't been paying attention. Uh, coming back to this DUI, and then I want to get into some other stories. Um, the drive forces are always saying, you know, that we should treat, you know, somebody that's driving under the influence as a criminal because when they walk into a bar, they are, they know that if they have more than three beers, they're committing a criminal act. Okay, if we're going to apply that logic. What about somebody that's driving down the road texting? Should they go to counseling? Should they have uh, 20 hours of community service for the first time they're convicted of texting and the second time they serve prison time, mandatory jail time for a texter? Because, again, the laws on the books say that if you're texting, you are committing a crime. So shouldn't the same rules apply? Well, that's... Uh Anything that you bring in more and more government control and rules is, uh, it makes me think twice. But you're right about you know not not paying attention and and being a danger on the road is just the same for texting as it would be for uh, having slower reactions because you had three beers. John, yeah, you know I'm, I was trying to think what the uh, what the law is about inattentive driving and things like that. There are things on the books that would allow a police officer to say, to stop somebody and say, you weren't paying attention to your driving. I think. I think there are such laws on the books. Yeah, careless and imprudence, what we used to call it, and I think they now call it inattentive driving. Okay. All right. Um, but somebody with three beers, should that be, well, we can't classify that as inattentive anymore because the federal government has stepped in and said, this will be your law on the books or we will pull your highway funding. Yeah. Shows the power of our Department of Transportation because they've done the same thing as far as speed limits, by the way. That's right. They've come into our states and they said, this will be your speed limit. Well, they do it on other things, like the signs that we talked about, you know, changing the street signs. By the way, uh, John, I know you're not aware of this uh, because I know you don't watch Fox. <laughs> I watch news. <laughs> but if you had been watching Fox, there's well, it was two nights in a row, they were talking about this goofiness uh, of changing street signs throughout the country, and I believe New York City 
the bill was going to be $26 million or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, because basically somebody from the Department of Transportation has said that street signs and all capital letters, we can't read those or understand them, apparently. So now the federal government has or did mandate to our individual communities that they had to change their street signs, like in Topeka, everything's in capitals. You know, it's in the uppercase. So cities like Topeka, the federal government basically said, you've got to change all of your street signs. You can have the first letter of the street in capital letters. Everything else has to be in lowercase. And the cost to Topeka, John, do you remember what it was? $400,000? $440,000, I think it was. Yeah, close to a half a million dollars. Yeah. Well, Lawrence, apparently... Lawrence been talking about it also, and they've got a bill of about 300 I think. Who? Lawrence. Okay. Well, apparently... The city of Topeka jumped the gun on this because it was reported on the Fox News, Fox News uh, Tuesday night, I believe, that due to the outcry that's now coming in from some of our major cities to where we're talking about millions and millions of dollars that are going to have to be spent, our Department of Transportation, somebody woke up in Washington and said, well, we're going to have a period of public comment. So we're going to hold off on this for a while, which means... You know, it's going to go in the dumpster. But you've got cities like Topeka that jumped the gun on this. We've spent, I don't know how many thousands of dollars already preparing for this, what we thought was a federal mandate. John, you've been in uh, local government for years. This is what you did for a living. Going back in your memory bank, when you had mandates, goofy stuff like this that came down the pike from Washington, did you immediately act on that? Did you wait for a cooling off period? If Topeka would have waited for a cooling off period, the taxpayers would be a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the good, I would imagine. I don't know, but I know Topeka spent a lot of money needlessly because of what they thought was going to be a mandate. How did you treat some of the stupidity coming out of Washington? Well, this particular set of uh, regulations comes in the Uniform Manual of Traffic Control Devices that the Federal Highway Administration uh, promulgates. Oh, from time to time, uh, usually yearly, uh, but they don't often make changes yearly. And what you have to do is you have to comply with that in order to continue to get federal money for different things. And you have to do it in order to protect yourself against liability from lawsuits where people say, uh, my client was injured because you guys didn't have the standard traffic control device in place. And so the person couldn't understand it and ran into my client and got hurt, so therefore, city, you're liable. So you basically tried to comply with everything that was in that manual. But there there were some silly things that happened also, and I'm surprised that the Federal Highway Administration is backing off of it at this point because they usually consider uh, public comment from the other state departments of transportation. That's all they're concerned about. They talked to the 50 different departments of transportation, and if they um, don't get a loud outcry, then um, they go ahead and do it. But they don't go to the public and ask the public what they think. It's just the, the way they've done it all their um, time that they've existed. So I'm surprised that they're backing off a little bit. Um, but I would imagine that a lot of other cities, not just Topeka, have read the manual and said, oh my, we're going to have to stock up on our street sign. Yeah materials and um, get ready to go, you know, have it happen. Topeka has its own street sign uh, operation where 
they get the street sign blanks, and then they have printing devices that allow them to print those signs. Yeah, we're so it's a little cheaper that way, but there still is manpower and time and materials. Yeah, $400,000 worth. Lee Hartman? Well, you know, this this uh, whole idea with the street signs makes perfect sense. I had a hard time getting here today because I couldn't read the signs all in capital letters, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's spend a few million dollars on that. Uh, just because we can't, you know, fund these other uh, operations uh, for the for the uh, needy and the elderly, uh, make sure we got our street signs and all the proper lettering. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, these federal mandates. At some point in time, um, well, I don't know what we do. John, you've been in the well, business, and you're one answer. of the one of the biggest federal mandates, Jim, was the American Disabilities Act, and that was a law that was passed under the first. George H.W. Bush. That was Bob Dole's baby. Yeah, that too. And, and it made no sense as far as a common sense approach. And folks, what we're talking about, to give an example of what was in this Americans for Disabilities Act, a curb cuts. Now again, curb cuts are designed for those that are wheelchair bound, uh, what have you, that are disabled. I understand the need for curb cuts if in fact you have somebody in the neighborhood that's wheelchair bound and wants to get from point A to point B. The common sense solution, if we were going to pass this Disabilities Act, would have been that if you've got somebody in a neighborhood that's wheelchair-bound, if they had a need to get out on the sidewalks to go from point A to point B, they could petition the local unit of government and say, I want curb cuts. Then the local unit of government could respond, could be mandated to respond to provide those curb cuts. Now that's not the way this law read. It read that every community everywhere would be mandated. The mandate was there, a mandate for curb cuts everywhere. Now, again, uh, I understand, you know, the need to take care of our disabled Americans. But shouldn't we have applied some common sense equation coming into this? The millions of dollars Topeka, Kansas spent on curb cuts. Again, it's no wonder we have the mill levy that we do. Jim, part of, part of the deal was that the law was passed. I don't think that the law really addressed curb cuts. It really addressed accommodations and saying that all public facilities should be um, accessible and to the handicapped. And also, it wasn't a matter of who is in a wheelchair in the neighborhood now, but who may be sometime in the future or as we age and have accidents, we all become disabled at some point in some way, and uh, curb cuts, uh, those ramps help. But the other thing that happened was that law was used as a way, as a basis for um, litigation, and there was some court case, and I think it was Manhattan, but it might have been Salina, where the judge ruled that the cities have to provide those curb cuts throughout the city and um, levied a large fine, if I'm not mistaken, on that particular city for not having provided compliance with those curb cuts and not being in compliance with the ADA. And there were a whole lot of things like that. Uh, the buses had to kneel so that people in wheelchairs could roll up to the ramps, had to have ramps so that you can get onto a bus with a wheelchair, tie downs for wheelchairs and a lot. And a lot, a lot of money was spent making buses accessible to the handicapped. And I've ridden the bus a good deal around here as we've had recent discussions about what to do about the bus. There are a lot of people in wheelchairs on the buses, and our guys with the Topeka Transit do a really good job.
job of helping them on the bus and tying down those wheelchairs and uh, letting them have access. And that's, that's awfully important. I mean, to take advantage of the things that are going on in the community, you have to have transportation. You have to have Let's get Lee Hartman's comments. And I want to get into an area to where I'm going to recommend more government service rather than less, which is going to shock both of you. <laughs> Lee Hartman, your comments on this whole Americans for Disabilities Act. Well, it's just like everything else the government does. They take a good idea and they totally go too far with it. So, you know, a lot of those things were very good. It's, it's hard to argue against making things easier for the handicapped. Um, but along like with the street signs, some of these things should have been phased in uh, certain degrees. Uh, you know, not every curb in town probably needs that just for the sake of spending the money on the chance that someday somebody might come by there. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm like I say, have a hard time arguing against helping the handicapped. Uh, so, you know, I think there's a lot of other places probably that that I would say the government has done a worse job of wasting our money. Yeah, I think um, the city of Topeka spends about half a million dollars a year on curb cuts and trying to, to provide handicap access and compliance with the ADA. I think that number's right, or it used to be, anyway. John Arnold, Lee Hartman, they're my guest, and we're talking about the top stories of the week. Jim.Cates at cjonline.com if you've got a question or a comment. Well, this is a shocker. Uh, Ken Softly has something nice to say about Fox, I think. Let me read this. It says, while Fox was justifiably bleeding about street sign stupidity, I saw nothing by them about Nigerian charges against Halliburton, KBR, and Cheney or the current administration's efforts preventing Spain's war, uh, crime charges against the Bush administration insiders. Well, he started off saying something nice about Fox. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a good start. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that, that's, that's good of him. He, he noted two things. <laughs> Let's get into an area to where maybe we need more government intervention, and this is going to surprise uh, two of you that I would even say this. Recently, there was another uh, private sector survey. Uh, the numbers were released that Topeka is now one of the most crime-ridden cities in the country. We're ahead of Gary, Indiana, East St. Louis, Illinois. I mean, it's one of these idiotic uh, conclusions. You know, somebody... You can make statistics uh, <laughs> appear to be anything you want them to appear to be. Uh, but again, Topeka is no more crime-ridden. <laughs> we shouldn't be up there amongst the leaders of the Detroits of the world, what have you. But at any rate, you know, we have so many of these private sector studies and surveys coming out, the most livable cities, the cities that you wouldn't want to live in, you know, the most cost-effective communities to live in, the most crime-ridden, the whole nine yards. Maybe it's time for the government to step in and possibly mandate that our communities report to the federal government on statistics that it levels the playing field. Crimes, the way that we're reporting crimes in Topeka, that Boston should be doing it the same way that Topeka, Wamigo should be doing it the same way as Topeka. Basically, I guess to level the playing field, so to speak, to put the government in control of coming out with legitimate survey statistical results. Should we take a step in this direction, or am I making a mountain out of a molehill? Because some of these uh, surveys make Topeka look bad, which I think unjustifiably so. Jim, the, the 
feds already require uh, uh, uniform crime reporting. The problem is that the individual doing the reporting uh, can interpret a particular crime one way or another. And as a consequence, you know, they used to say in terms of computers, garbage in, garbage out. So the conclusions come out very much skewed by the judgment of the people who entered the data and saying, okay, this was this kind of a crime or that kind of a crime, or it wasn't this kind of a crime, or it wasn't that kind of a crime. You know, and so they they count, um, I don't know, a breaking and entering different than a home invasion, perhaps. They count a burglary different than a robbery. And, of course, you know, a homicide is, is a homicide, but um, they can often say, okay, that was... Um, was not in our jurisdiction. I mean, police departments used to. They, they started doing this uniform stuff under J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI in the, in the 50s, as I recall. Okay. And it used to be that uh, the police officers would drag a, a dead body out to the county so it wouldn't show on the city's crime report or something like that. At least that was the story. I don't know that that ever happened. But um, it would show in the county's crime report and not in the city's. Or drag it to another jurisdiction, you know. Silly stuff like that has happened, uh, obviously okay. not very often. But uh, where, where should we go? Well, I've heard regarding uh, some of these, you know, private sector survey result reports that come out, or should we do anything <coughs> with them? Well, like you say, you can you can make uh, statistics say anything you want. So, uh, what I know is that I've heard Chief Miller talk a lot about. Uh, crime statistics uh, when I've attended the Safe Streets meetings and mm -hmm. um, one of the problems that we have in Topeka is we have a lot of vehicle thefts and so there's a large number of vehicle thefts that affects our crime rate but it's it's not uh, it's not the same as you know murders and rapes and the more serious crimes so sometimes that those statistics can be misleading but then again like like John said you know the way that Crimes are reported. They've tried to unifo uniform that, uh, but it's it's getting it done is different than than uh, saying it's a good idea. And again, it's a pro uh, approaching this, you know, with some common sense approach, so to speak. St. Louis was one of the top two, three communities, I believe, this year as far as being the most crime-ridden when it came to homicides. By the same token, one of uh, St. Louis' suburbs, O'Fallon, Missouri, is one of the safest places in the country to live, and they're 10 miles apart, basically. Uh, so again, some of these studies, they can really put a community in a very, very unfavorable light. And I guess, you know, to take a look at uh, St. Louis, this is an example of the homicides in St. Louis. I've always said, tongue-in-cheek, there's good homicides and bad homicides. <laughs> Good homicides is when we're offing drug dealers, pimps, gangbangers. Bad homicides is when an innocent victim is murdered. And I don't know how many bad homicides St. Louis has because most of the crimes in St. Louis, if you take a look at the uh, crime map in St. Louis, these are murders in the hood. These are going to be your drug dealers. These are going to be your gangbangers. These are drug dealers shooting drug dealers, gangbangers shooting gangbangers. Once you get out of the hood, folks, St. Louis is a safe community. I've got a daughter that lives uh, five miles from O'Fallon. This is one of the safest communities to live in in the country. So I don't know. I think we have to put it in some perspective. You also get um, political um, influence on the crime reports because you get a new mayor coming in and he appoints a new police chief and he says, we're going to attack crime in this city. Well, 
let's make sure that those crime reports show that we're making progress. So, Chief, we want you to make sure that you show that crime is going down. And, you know, okay, so then you, you, you categorize or report on what kinds of crimes are going on in a different way than you would have done before. And it ends up changing the, changing the numbers. And that, that does happen. It doesn't happen in most uh, council managers, where there's a city manager cities, but it does in, in the political cities uh, where the mayor is in charge and appoints the department heads. It does happen a bit. Okay, I want to read something that Rick Anderson wrote on Tuesday on his Tuesday column. And as usual, Rick's pretty much on the mark. I'm sure both of you read this, but it really hit home with me. And it says, when the Lawrence Journal World recently asked random shoppers what stores they would like to see in Lawrence, the answers read like a trip down southwest Wanamaker Road. They included Kmart, Dick's Sporting Goods, Toys R Us, Red Lobster, and Olive Garden. Very interesting. Lawrence shoppers want the things we have. And the downtown Topeka revitalization proponents are pushing for the kind of retail and entertainment offerings they have down in Lawrence. That really struck home with me because, again, it all, I think with most of us, the grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence. And are we ever going to be completely, totally satisfied? Well, Lawrence's solution is very simple because if Lawrence ends up getting a Kmart, a Dick's Sporting Goods, a Toys R Us, a Red Lobster, or Olive Garden, the private sector is going to take care of that. We're coming up with a public sector solution dealing with downtown revitalization. And again, we're trying to create what Lawrence has when Lawrence is saying, we wish we were in Topeka. You know, again, I, I hope at some point in time, those of us that live in this community appreciate what we've got. And, you know, you hear criticism, you know, on the reader blogs on CG Online all the time about, I wouldn't go to the mall, I wouldn't go down, venture down Wanamaker. Lord, we've got everything in the world on Wanamaker. If you can't find what you're looking for, the Wanamaker Corridor, folks, it ain't out there. <laughs> it's not about to right. be found anywhere. That's and, about right. Yeah. And, again, we have it so good in this community, and now we're tying up so many time, so much time, so much of our resources in this community now are going to downtown revitalization. We've hired this uh, outfit out of Tampa, Florida, to come in and create this visioning program for Topeka, which basically all focuses, or the big major focus is going to be on downtown revitalization. When other communities are saying, gee, we wish we had what Topeka had, who wants to, who wants to go first? Well, I'd like to just say that uh, what I've seen in the last two or three years on the vision uh, effort here in Topeka has been really good because not only are we getting ideas brought in from outside, but there's a really big participation by the community. And it, you can see the effects of that just in in uh, people's attitudes about Topeka that used to be so down on Topeka, and now it's, I've seen it change a lot. Lee, I want to interrupt you. Do you credit that to visioning? Or would you give more credit possibly to this Think Big Topeka group, which was a group of grassroots young activists in this community? Through their efforts, I think they have changed I think the self-image of Topeka. Yeah, they're all part of that, I think. Uh, I'm seeing the younger people and older people, the establishment, 
they're all <laughs> kind of pulling together for a change in the same direction. You're seeing it in, in the polls. You're seeing it in the rankings that you find Topeka. I mean, all that stuff affects uh, our perception of ourselves and other people's perception of Topeka. I've really seen a change recently about that. Now, one thing I would say is it does seem to be overly focused on downtown Topeka because people think downtown Topeka needs to be something particular. But that's going to be different in every city. And, you know, downtown Topeka is not any kind of a slum right now. So, you know, there's a limit to how much government can do to make it something they want it to be. And really the most important thing they can do is make it business friendly so that the private sector can make it be what the community wants it to be. John Arnold. The, um, the downtown efforts always focus on Kansas Avenue and and Topeka Boulevard, and um, the Wanamaker Corridor is is a tremendous retail corridor. There's no question about it. And if you drive down, like well, today's Friday, you drive down Wanamaker at about between six and seven, and it looks like they're giving away free food in these restaurants <laughs> because the parking lots are full. And if you drove through the parking lots and looked at the license tags you'll see that these aren't all Shawnee County license tags. These people are coming from Douglas County and Osage and Pottawatomie and coming into Topeka uh, to go to dinner and to do some shopping. And I love downtown Lawrence. I think it's a very pedestrian-friendly kind of a place. And Kansas Avenue is, is not the same. It's far different because it's mainly office, professional, financial district, and that's different. Um... But if you go two blocks to the west of downtown Kansas Avenue and Topeka Boulevard, you run into some area that has gotten older and run down. And that doesn't help for downtown Topeka. But I haven't seen, uh, for the Kansas Avenue quarter, I haven't seen anybody talking about what we ought to do about that area. But, you know, it goes back to what we talked about the first hour. I'll kind of tie this in to drinking. Because if you read... And here are the comments that are being made about downtown Topeka. We always seem to come back to the fact that we need to draw people into downtown Topeka at night to drink beer. Why is it so important that we drink beer in downtown Topeka? You know, we keep talking about, you know, creating a bar district, creating an entertainment district, which all uh, revolves around drinking. And that really seems to be the focus from this visioning group that we need to get more drinkers downtown after dark. I, I guess I don't understand trying to make downtown Topeka into an entertainment center. Why not focus on downtown strengths, which is the fact that we've got a lot of people in downtown Topeka during the daylight hours. Why not focus on that? Why try to change downtown Topeka to be something that it simply isn't? Yeah, one of the, one of the state's policies that hurt downtown Topeka was when they went to a half-hour lunch break rather than an hour. Because in an hour lunch break, people from the state office buildings could go shop. Mm-hmm. But in a half hour, they can't or they don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see them out taking walks now, uh, an awful lot of that, but not, not much shopping. Because there's not much shopping downtown to start with, not the kind of shopping that's on Wanamaker, for example, <coughs> certainly, and not the kind that's in, in downtown Lawrence. But um, sure, if you could get Kansas Avenue to look like Massachusetts Street in Lawrence, That'd be terrific, but it's got to happen from the private sector, and the private sector has done some 
of that in the downtown. You see a, a bunch of new shops, probably half a dozen in the past couple of years, and that's great as long as they survive. But we've also lost a couple of nice restaurants in the downtown that uh, failed or quit because they weren't making enough money, which is usually the, the reason. And uh, it's not something that government can run in and, and fix. I remember one city, every city I've been in, always talked about the downtown. What can we do to strengthen the downtown? And I remember in one city, the people said, well, what we need to do is we need to get pennies to come back downtown. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, folks. Um, we can spin in the wind all we want and talk to pennies all we want, but they have a corporate philosophy that says we're in malls, we're not in downtowns. And they, they make those decisions at the highest levels and for the reasons that are in their own self-interest. And there's nothing you can do to talk to them to change that unless you want to subsidize them. And that isn't, that doesn't make any sense either. So it's tough. You just have to let the private sector make their own decisions on, on shopping stuff. Yeah, and again, you know, we keep comparing Topeka's downtown to Lawrence. Uh, and somebody, I hopefully, on this visioning committee, Lee Hartman, that you're talking about, We'll wake up and realize that Lawrence, downtown area, it does thrive because you've got 30,000 college kids all with money that are within a couple of blocks of downtown Lawrence. They can walk to downtown Lawrence. Downtown Lawrence, if you take a look at downtown Lawrence, there is no bad neighborhood in Lawrence, Kansas. I mean, this is a safe community as far as there being a bad area that you don't want to go into after dark. Unfortunately, you know, fortunately, Topeka, 95% of Topeka is that way, but we do have some unsafe areas, unfortunately, one of which touches downtown Topeka. And two, we don't have 30,000 college kids that can walk to downtown. Topeka, we're not going to be Lawrence, Kansas. It's just not going to happen. So as far as getting, you know, that drinking nightlife crowd back into downtown Topeka, I don't think... That's going to happen on a major scale. You've got the office at 8th and Jackson, their new bar that's got dueling pianos and what have you, doing quite well. Next door to it, you've got the Irish pub. Uh, Fox Family owns it, doing okay. So we do have some limited entertainment for those that want to booze it up in downtown Topeka. Those opportunities are there, but encouraging any more nighttime activity, I'm not sure that's a realistic goal. Yeah, uh, Topeka is never going to be Lawrence, and we don't need it to be. You, you know, you try to drive down Massachusetts Street and find a parking spot. You, you just can't. It's it's not somewhere you drive to and go. It's a, like you say, it's a walking place. We're never going to be a college town here in Topeka. We're a different kind of town. We have to take what we have, and and like you said, use our strengths and build on those. It all comes back to government as as much as anything, getting out of the way, making it easy for the private sector to come in and serve the community. The private sector is always going to give the community what it wants. If there's a demand, it'll be there. We don't, like you said, we don't need to focus on making a drinking district. It's great to have entertainment. It doesn't always have to focus on the drinking. You've got TPAC down there and some places that have entertainment that don't have to focus on drinking. Look at any drinking establishment in town. They come and they go. There's no business that's more volatile than that. They're in business. They're popular for a while. They go out of business. Something new comes in. They're going to come and go just like that. There's very little that the government can do to make that a stable industry. That's true. Even in Lawrence, um, they fuss about their downtown a bit because some of the <coughs> shops are becoming <coughs> bars. And more and more, there's more of a move in that direction in Lawrence than there is to get the, the uh, 
lobsters and and uh, Olive Gardens and and Dick Sporting Goods in downtown Lawrence. They're just um, it's, it's just that way, you know. Little nice little gift shops and art stores are giving way to newer restaurants and bars, and it's a it's a constant change, you know. Retail is is uh, driven by the supply and demand, as as Lee said, no question. Yeah, and you know, if you take a look at Lawrence, if you're Christmas shopping in Lawrence, where would you go? That is the most disjointed community, and I love the appearance of Lawrence as far as the residential areas, cleanliness of the town. Lawrence has a lot to offer. But in terms of shopping experiences, where would you go? I mean, you've got everything scattered all over Hell's Half Acre in Lawrence. It's the most disjointed community as far as having a retail shopping district. I don't know how much money Lawrence loses every year from Douglas County residents either going east into the Oak Park Mall or coming west into the Topeka's Wanamaker Corridor to shop. I'm sure the because you don't have that opportunity in Lawrence. Hmm? I'm sure the leakage is considerable. I think that's why the yeah. Journal World was doing that kind of survey. What kind of shopping would you like to have here in Lawrence? Now, there is no mall in no, Lawrence. There isn't. Uh-uh. Uh, they, Lawrence has resisted the mall for years and years, and they still fuss over whether to allow a Lowe's going in there currently. That's the big controversy at the moment. And uh, they they fought the Walmart for a long, long time out at 6th and Wakarusha. And um, they continue to fuss over a variety of different things. But South Iowa Street has become a, a, a shopping corridor. But it's it, there's no mall. There's no, no it's kind of all disjointed on South Iowa. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a mess. Hey, we need to take a break. John Arnold, Lee Hartman, are my guests. We're talking about the top stories of the week. John, when we come back, Lee Hartman wants to talk about 29th and Farallon. Okay. Uh, we'll finish up with that. Stay, uh, stay tuned, folks. More to come. CJOnline.com has been upgraded, and it's an entirely new way for you to experience your community. More than ever, CJOnline.com has what you need when you need it. As your morning starts, CJOnline.com is updated with overnight news, weather, and the morning buzz. Throughout the day, they bring you developing stories, interaction, and commentary. In the evening, they recap the day in news and sports and feature their local bloggers. Experience the local news and sports at CJOnline.com. Your 24-7 Northeast Kansas news Topeka Collegiate, Topeka's only independent school, treats every child as gifted. Each student is encouraged to excel in a caring, small class learning environment guided by humanitarian principles. At Topeka Collegiate, children fall in love with learning. Enrollment is limited. Call 228-0490 or visit our website at topekacollegiate.org. Topeka Collegiate School. Educating children for life. Excuse me, why are you saving those old eyeglasses? You know the ones, stuck away in the desk drawer, haven't been worn in years. Yeah, those. You should donate them to your local Lions Club. Lions Clubs have been collecting used eyeglasses for years. They'll take your old eyeglasses and recycle them for someone in need of proper eyewear. Call your local Lions Club for information on where you can donate your old eyeglasses. Lions Clubs International. We serve. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org. 
a special place on the internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. We're back with Jim Cates at CJOnline.com, your source for live Internet news, opinion, interviews, and conversation in Topeka. Here's Jim. Since we were talking about uh, downtown Topeka, let's talk about the downtown antique and collectibles mall. They're located at 5th and Harrison. It's just a short block east of Topeka Boulevard. It's a store that's open seven days a week. And again, there's everything in there, everything under the sun, antiques, collectibles, garage sale items, uh, just about anything you can imagine. You can probably find it at the Downtown Antique and Collectibles Mall. And folks, if you're looking for some quick Christmas cash, whatever you've got that uh, is laying around the house that's unused, unwanted, unneeded, if it's something in good repair, you can take it down to the Downtown Antique and Collectibles Mall. They'll place it in their store on consignment for you. doesn't cost you a dime. It's just when your item sells, whatever it may be, then they'll send you a check. doesn't get much better than that, the Downtown Antique and Collectibles Mall. By the way, their phone number, if you're curious about what they have and how their sales policy works, 354-1603. John Arnold, Lee Hartman are with us. And again, Lee, you're the editor and publisher of the Metro Voice. In December issue, it's a monthly publication. Right. And the December issue is coming out. It's out now. It uh, came out yesterday. Oh, okay. And 500 locations in and around Topeka. You can pick it up, folks. This is a freebie. That's right. I'll have to find that. I haven't seen it. Yes, you need to. Uh, John lives close to the Wanamaker Quarter, close to 29th and Wanamaker. Lee Hartman, the closest uh, location for John to pick up a copy of the Metro Voice. Well, since you mentioned it, uh, Pazagles. Uh, at 29th and Fairlawn has okay. our has our publication in there. Uh, it's also available there at Fairlawn Plaza, Barrington Village, uh, all around that area, in several different locations. So, but since I brought up Pizagles, um I do go there frequently for for lunch or a snack. And uh, lately, it's been really hard to get there. This, they've had that street torn up for so long, and as usual, the street department does not take into consideration. The local businesses and what their needs are, which are also the needs of the general public getting in and out of these businesses. So you have to be a really loyal customer to try to get into a business when the street department has, like all their entrances and exits, pretty much blocked off. They even made it hard to get there by going around the block and coming from another direction. And sometimes they've got their little their orange cones set up in places that they're not even working, and it's it's just like, do you not see that this is blocking the entrance to this business, and do you even care? It's just a real, it's been a real burr under my saddle for a long time. The the way they don't seem to take into account the needs of the businesses, which are also the needs of the general public. Well, Lee, Jim, and I have um, had this conversation about other locations, Twenty uh, First and Yearish, um, when they built the. The roundabout out there, they drove a couple of businesses out of that little shopping center. One that we used to go to regularly, the, uh, what was that called, the coffee shop? Mm. Coffee Break Cafe. Coffee Break Cafe. Mm -hmm. And then changed the name to the Roundabout Cafe, you bet. Yeah, and then the uh, the liquor store there changed owners because uh -huh. of lower business. Because they went under, yeah. The city didn't uh, prepare and protect the businesses, and they need to do that. There's Absolutely. No but John should, you know, the article that was in today's Capital Journal, should businesses uh, such as the one that Lee Hartman mentioned sue 
a community, what should a small business's recourse be? You know, if, if in fact a community, and again, you know, a 21st and Erie situation, one, Lee Hartman mentioned 29th and Fairlawn, and a letter to the editor a few months ago was talking about, I'm 60 years old, I'm in reasonably good health, I exercise regularly, I watch my diet, I'm a non-smoker, will I live long enough to see 29th and Fairlawn completed? <laughs> <laughs> Cute letter. And to say, goes, you know, businesses like this have suffered. But what should their rights be? How far do we go as far as a business suing a community you know, for a loss of income? What should a small business's recourse be? John, we'll let you start. You pay the business. Uh, as I read the article, they filed claims with the city. And the city, on occasion, has paid claims when they've been filed. And things yeah. have happened like sewer backups and... Uh-huh. A few things like pothole destroyed tires and things like that. They have paid those claims from time to time, and it just remains to be seen whether they'll do that in this particular case. But I think the fact that somebody files a claim might make the city pay more attention to trying to keep businesses open. I know when I went to Fort Collins as city manager, they were doing a downtown project, and they had torn up the downtown so badly it would like to be taking downtown Lawrence and and running about four blocks long, a sewer down the middle of the street that closed all of the parking on the entire Massachusetts for a couple of years. Businesses don't last. And these, these businesses were falling apart, and they got me in there, and they said, you got to get this fixed. we got to get this back open so businesses, so people can get into the businesses. I said, no question about it. And so we did, but it, uh, it took some major efforts to do it. And it, you have to have the right thought process. And that is that uh, you need to do, you need to serve your customers. And as a city government, business is the city government's customers. The retail businesses that are downtown or at 29th and Carolina or any place. And the city needs to do all it can do to help them. That's not the way, uh, you're right about that, and that's not the way government thinks. Their thought process is not how can we serve our customers. And, you know, the, the small businesses are the ones that get hurt the most by the street construction because they don't have the pull of these large corporations. Sure. And so they get hurt the most, and it's the small businesses that make the community what it is. You know, that's what makes us different from another community is our small businesses. So the street department, I mean, you look at what happened on Wanamaker with those medians last year. They went in and spent all this money, and then they had to turn around and tear them all out and do it right because they didn't, check with people first. I mean, they don't think about the businesses, and they don't think about the customers. That That's the thought process that needs to change. I, I, I agree with you. Um, they, they proposed a roundabout at, um, what was it, 17th and McVicker? No, not McVicker. Mm-hmm. I think it was. Was it, it McVicker? Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you drive through that intersection, you say, this, that's a crazy idea to put a roundabout there. I mean, given the foot traffic that's through there, roundabouts are not particularly uh, friendly towards pedestrian traffic either. But uh, it's just a terrible location for a roundabout. And finally, people rose up and they gave it up. But um, Well, look at the roundabout they built at 29th and Urish, and then less than 10 years later, they're ripping it out and making it different. I mean, did they well, not plan I, ahead at all? I think in this case, it was the county built it first, and now the city's rebuilding yeah. it. Uh, I think that was one of the, and, the problems. And, of course, they can't they can't work together on any of that to try to get it right the first time. Well, that's, <laughs> that's right. 
that it seems to be that that's the case. In that particular case, it certainly was. Okay, hey, we are just about to the end of the show. John, what's coming up on your blogs? Uh, I know you had one this morning that are just. Oh, I did one on potholes, and I did another one on uh, unemployment this week. Okay, did somebody say something? Did I miss something on the potholes? Oh, what did? There was um, a press conference. The city had its monthly press conference on Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. And uh, I think it was Dennis Taylor who said, you know, potholes are like locusts. They're always going to be with us. And I said, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. Um, we fix potholes. We might not be able to control locusts, but you sure as heck can control potholes. Just a matter of getting organized. And I'm told that they have recently replaced the person who was in charge of street maintenance. Uh, I don't know who was there before. I don't know who's there now. But um, the city manager told me that they had replaced that person. Okay, John, what's coming up? Have you got a blog coming up this weekend? Um, I probably will do one on this whole uh, deficit commission thing because I'm hopeful that our Congress can get their act together and and approve whatever it was that that commission said to do. It's fairly complicated, and so I'm not sure exactly how to do it except to say you need to do a combination of cuts and tax increases and increases of, of the... Um, Social Security and so on. I hope we don't demagogue this debt commission. Uh, Me too. Because I think there's something in the debt commission's uh, report for everybody to hate. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, I think it was a responsible commission. I think that if we adopted everything in that commission's report, this country is going to be back headed in the right direction. And that's not to say I like everything in it. I'm certainly opposed to the 15 cent a gallon gas tax and what have you. But overall, this commission dealt with debt reduction, reduction of government spending. Very, very responsible. One of the few things I'll give Obama credit for, and I'll give him credit for this one, because I think it was something that's sorely needed. Now, I just hope we don't politicize this thing to where virtually nothing happens. I'm exactly where you are, Jim. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there that, that doesn't I happen often, by the have way. my doubts about. You know, I'm yeah. not going to hold a whole lot of hope for that, not being politicized. <laughs> <laughs> well, making the right kinds of sounds about it. I mean, they're saying, okay, I don't like eliminating the mortgage deduction, so okay, let's amend it and say, we'll just eliminate the mortgage deduction for houses worth more than $750,000. I said, well, that's probably okay, you know, or for vacation homes and so on. Um, the mortgage deduction for your first residence under 750000 bucks. I think you need to keep that. But yeah. Well, this commission, I think, has got off to a good start. I, I, think I sure like it. Yeah, I, I, well, I say I like it. I think it's the responsible thing to do, I guess. That's exactly right. And besides that, if you raise the retirement age to 68 in the next 50 years and then 69 in 75 years, who cares? Yep. And, John, it must be the Christmas season because you're agreeing with me. Well, Lee Hartman, what's coming up in the Metro Voice? Well, speaking you get your of December the, issues out? Yeah, speaking of the Christmas season, there's a lot of information in our Dece- our December issue about Christmas, how to relieve the stress, how to save some money, how to make the holidays more family-oriented, all those kinds of things. Uh, they're very interesting. So good read. Lee, I appreciate you coming in. Thank you. John, we will talk to you next week, my friend. Got it. Lee Hartman with the Metro Voice coming up on deck. Dave Jackson, we're going to be talking about, well, lawns and gardens. Yes, we are. Stay tuned, folks. You don't want to miss it. I'm Jim Cates.
CJOnline.com has been upgraded, and it's an entirely new way for you to experience your community. More than ever, CJOnline.com has what you need when you need it. As your morning starts, CJOnline.com is updated with overnight news, weather, and the morning buzz. Throughout the day, they bring you developing stories, interaction, and commentary. In the evening, they recap the day in news and sports and feature their local bloggers. Experience local news and sports at CJOnline.com. Your 24-7 Northeast Kansas news connection. Topeka Collegiate, Topeka's only independent school, treats every child as gifted. Each student is encouraged to excel in a caring, small class learning environment guided by humanitarian principles. At Topeka Collegiate, children fall in love with learning. Enrollment is limited. Call 228-0490 or visit our website at topekacollegiate.org. Topeka Collegiate School, educating children for life. Excuse me, why are you saving those old eyeglasses? You know the ones, stuck away in the desk drawer, haven't been worn in years. Yeah, those. You should donate them to your local Lions Club. Lions Clubs have been collecting used eyeglasses for years. They'll take your old eyeglasses and recycle them for someone in need of proper eyewear. Call your local Lions Club for information on where you can donate your old eyeglasses. Lions Clubs International. We serve. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. We're back with Jim Cates at CJOnline.com, your source for live Internet news, opinion, interviews, and conversation in Topeka. Here's Jim. Well, Dave Jackson, this is believe the fourth, fifth time maybe I referenced what Rick Anderson wrote Tuesday. Just did, love it. What Just did Rick write? Oh, I always like I think Rick's got a great writing style. Well, he does that. There's no question. Joy is right. But this is something that really just hit home with me. And let's get your opinion. Alrighty. I think he was right on the money. It says, when the Lawrence Journal World recently asked random shoppers what stores they would like to see in Lawrence, the answers read like a trip down southwest Wanamaker Road. They included Kmart, Dick's Sporting Goods, Toys R Us, Red Lobster, and the Olive Garden. Interesting. Lawrence shoppers want the things we have, and the downtown Topeka revitalization proponents are pushing for the kind of retail and entertainment offerings they have in downtown Lawrence. On mass, yeah, on mass. Yeah, I suppose. I I love Rick's comments because, again, I love the Wanamaker corridor. Do you? If you, if, if I you, can, if I can avoid it, I avoid that sucker like the plague. Really? I hate it. I absolutely it. hate it. Well, Dave, you know, if you're looking for anything, if you can't find it on Wanamaker, you can't find it anywhere. I mean, we've got everything known to man on Wanamaker. It's there. When we say Topeka is a regional shopping center. We are a regional shopping center. You can come to, to Topeka now and find anything. Why in God's name would you ever go to Lawrence to shop? I mean, there's nothing there. It's the most disjointed, and I love the appearance of Lawrence, as I said last hour. It's a beautiful community. You know, it's a well-kept, well-maintained community, absolutely beautiful. 
Well, why would you shop there? Where would you go? I wouldn't what shop. What would you do? I haven't. I don't. And the, the one thing that you would do is there's a couple of good restaurants there uh, that you would go to. Now, of course, the best one, that steakhouse, is gone because there's no smoking policy. Yep. Ran uh, out of town. Yeah. And Herford House. Herford House. I loved that place. Loved it. Mm-hmm. That's where we would, uh, if you were lucky enough to score a uh, dinner off of a lobbyist, sometimes that's where a group of us would go, was off to the Herford House. But it is just, uh, uh, the folks, most, many of the folks in the north side of town really don't care for that uh, Wanamaker crawl. And, uh, and a lot of us don't care to shop there. And so... Having said that, when you absolutely have to have something, that's where you wind up. Uh, for example, when I had to buy the uh, room air conditioner last uh, couple this summer, when our old 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 one finally bit the dust, we wound up buying a, an air conditioner out there at. Uh, I think I wound up at uh, Lowe's. Yeah, Lowe's. You've got Lowe's, Home Depot. Mm-hmm. They're all out there. You know. Yeah. But if, well, everything's out there. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. And I guess I'm not promoting necessarily, and I happen to love the Wanamaker Corridor. Mm-hmm. I'm not promoting Wanamaker. I'm promoting the Topeka. That, I understand. You know, if you're living if it, in it, Lawrence it, yeah, it and called, you're Christmas it, shopping, you're not going to shop in Lawrence. Where are you going to go? There's Oak, nothing there. Oak Mall. Oak Either Street. the Oak Park Mall in Johnson County or west to Topeka to Wanamaker. Right. True. Yeah. So You're right about that. We need to be thankful for what we've got. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we keep spending, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on outstate consultants coming into Topeka, trying to revitalize downtown Topeka, mm-hmm. trying to make downtown Topeka attractive for beer drinkers, because we keep talking about an entertainment district after dark. Mm-hmm. Why do we need more beer drinkers in downtown Topeka? I'm not so sure we really do need more beer drinkers in downtown Topeka. What we really do need is our folks living there. As I was driving to your uh, your uh, show here at the Capitol Journal on West 6th Street, I drove by the uh, uh, a number of places where there were old grocery stores that are no longer in business um, and just and kept driving and looking at these uh, parking lots where people park, I mean, to work there, whatever, that are full. These are surface parking lots. And thinking that uh, wouldn't it be nice if we had some some nice apartments and some or some buildings where the parking's underground or covered and you've got structures and you've got things going on. Then that's when you, Topeka becomes revitalized. It's, it's, a, it's about getting more people living in the core of the city. And, shop, and then, of course, shopping will come. That's all, really. That's the secret. Uh, but who, what developer in his right mind is going to throw up a, a six or seven or eight story high rise for uh, uh, high scale apartments in the city of Topeka for folks to live there? Yeah, you've got one of those now on Twelfth and Jackson. Mm-hmm. That is unfilled. Yeah. Twelfth and Jackson. Yeah, behind uh, the old Hardee's, right uh, to the southeast of the Judicial Center. To the uh, southeast of the Judicial Center, right in back of Curtis, uh, to the south of Curtis. Well, that's it's called Jackson Towers. Yeah, that's low-income public housing. Well, it's low-income. Could be uh-huh. something better. Uh, oh, it's yeah. It's low-income because right. you couldn't attract that many middle-incomers in it. I don't mm-hmm. think it was built originally, was it, as yeah. low-income? Yeah. I was working for HUD, or had just gone to work for HUD when that was finished. 
was it was a low income public housing project originally and still is. Oh, okay. Was from day one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the same with the one the what was that great big insurance building at what is it Ninth in Kansas or Topeka when that got hit uh, by the tornado and it needed some structural repairs. They converted that from an insurance office building to again low income elderly housing. Mm-hmm. That's the other one. And so I have no problem if if there were, uh, but of course with low income housing there has to be federal housing dollars come, and and uh, the uh, tax advantage kinds of things don't get the rent down close enough. You know when they issue the Kansas tax credits that are issued out for uh, Ross Freeman's projects, for example, that just doesn't uh, that doesn't doesn't get the rents low enough in a high rise structure for people to elderly folks or folks to afford rent. Yeah, low income, elderly housing, that's okay. That's great. I don't want to see low income housing. No, not low income family housing. No, of course not. We're talking low incomers. I want people, uh, they're to the age. They don't need drugs anymore as far as illegal drugs. Mm -hmm. They don't have uh, any need for a pimp. Right. And they don't have any need for gangs. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Attract the elderly, Mm -hmm. not... Right, Bunko Bunko's the biggest well, gang in there, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Green Monster was a good example of a project. Now, that initially was what? Was Green that Monster. A, that set at the northwest corner of the capital, the high-rise. Uh, oh, yeah. No, that was built uh, private sector. Yeah. Uh-huh. But that wasn't built originally for low income. No. Uh-uh. Well, that's what it is now. Is it? A lot of legislators lived there back when you were in the legislature. Uh-huh. But again, well, gang activity, they've got a bad element in there now. The oh, legislators, really? legislators, I think, are all out of there. Really? Yeah. Annette's it, grandmother lived there for many years. Okay. And Annette actually was in that apartment on the southwest side of that building when the tornado came through. She saw it. Really? It just missed them. Oh, wow. You know, it hit the Capitol building, and uh-huh. they watched as it went by. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but that anyway. building at one time. You know, nice place. Nice uh, place, yeah. yeah uh, she was the... The FHA director's uh, secretary, and that's grandmother, that was here in town. We mm-hmm. used to have a, an FHA office right here located in the fourth floor of the Capitol Federal Building. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, Jimmy Carter moved us out and took us yeah. to Kansas City. Yeah. But as you say, that was nice housing in Topeka mm-hmm. years ago. And it was good housing back into the early 90s and mid-90s. And well, even early 2000, there yeah. was there were yeah. uh, dec- decent people living there. And... Yeah. Uh, um, in fact, they had a bar down on the first floor. That's mm-hmm. where all the legislators tended to congregate. And Howard Paul. Yeah. He had his special seat right there in the north side corner. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, you could go in there at night, especially if you lived in the Green Monster. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to worry about getting out on the roads, right. drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. And the legislators could sit in there and discuss business until mm-hmm. the wee hours in the morning. Mostly Democrats. I didn't go in there. Yeah, I think it was mostly Democrats, mm-hmm. but uh, it got so rough because they opened up the housing to where it just got a real bad element in there. And well, that's too bad. Gone. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So what else is cooking? We I heard, heard John kind of trying to defend city services and and the uh, ability or the that the city may not may not be culpable in in these people's losses. Uh, possibly, it's of course uh, a typical John Arnold response. He's a he's a city bureaucrat all the way, and uh, but you know Lee, Lee made really good uh, points that that there's really no forward look or no any kind of planning that uh, the city department appears to go through before they go out there and do something uh, or communication 
or anything. He, he knocked off two or three good points, and that's just just the way it is. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, getting common sense back into government, which mm-hmm. at times, uh, you know, the, that comes kicking and screaming. Well, if rather, you, if you elect, yeah, that's right. But if you elected a street commissioner, you, you can darn well bet mm-hmm. that he'd be getting constituent input before before he started on something because his job depends on it. Well, it goes back to the former government we had back in exactly. the 80s. Exactly. The commission, former government. Right. We elected a street commissioner. We elected a water commissioner. We elected a finance director. We elected a parks director and elected a mayor. Five-person commission. Exactly. Great form of government. It was. Yeah. Never should have changed it. No. I mean, because you knew at least what the guy said his policies were going to be, and he, then he had control, and the bureaucrats were answerable to one person. Mm-hmm. And that was that commissioner, and, and that commissioner could only be overridden if he was uh, requesting funds. Yeah. I'd love to see us go back to that mm-hmm. longer government. Yeah. But, um, because we haven't gotten it right since, and Mm-mm. it still just infuriates me that, you know, at our city council meetings today, you still have to wait for uh, the council meeting <clears throat> before you know what the mayor can and can't vote on, mm-hmm. on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. We should have a form of government that would clearly spell this out prior to a council meeting to where the city attorney is going to individually rule on every item what can and can't be done. Well, the mayor and it I worked hard on not getting that, that uh-huh. sucker adopted. We went to the Chamber of Commerce. I was on the executive board of the Chamber of Commerce at the same time, pointed out all of the things that you say that was wrong with that ordinance, and yet they still supported it. Yeah. Uh, just a, uh, you know, I, I love Doug Kinzinger and what he's brought, but... But his advisors on that were dead, dead wrong. Yep. They, it's just the people jumped on the bandwagon. Not, I bet 10% of those folks that said that was going to be such a great government even read the thing. Yep. Well, we had you know, a dysfunctional city council at the time. Things mm-hmm. weren't working well in Topeka. Mm-hmm. So rather than going to the root of the problem, which were the individuals we mm-hmm. had representing us, right. we attacked the form of government. Mm-hmm. You know, any form of government virtually will work. If you hire the right people, right? Elect no elect, form of elect government. The right people, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, no form of government's going to work if you elect the wrong people, right? And uh, at that point, we had a, a, a gang of four or whatever that weren't doing very well, or from depending, or if you're on the other side of it, the other side wasn't working very well. So yeah, anyway. that's the one thing I will say about our current city council. I don't agree with a lot of their decisions, but at least they're listening to each other. They respect each other's opinions. They're cordial to each other. And they're unpredictable on their votes, which I love, because, as you know, just what you said, in years past, depending on who introduced an ordinance, you knew it was going to be a 5-4 vote. Right. And all based on personalities Mm -hmm. rather than based on public policy. And at least we're away from that now. So Mm -hmm. I'll give this current group a little better credit. credit, Yes. And maybe that's because they're headed by uh, Mayor Button, and he he brings gravitas. Indeed. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about lawn and garden. Tips. We'll do that. We'll let's also that. talk about, uh, I've got another bone to pick, and that would be the savings that, uh, in yesterday's newspaper that we can do here in the city. Oh, okay. Let's do that. All right. Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. Folks, again, if you've got a lawn and garden question, yep, we do that as well this hour. So you can email us at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Stay tuned. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. 
Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers top-of-the-line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, LA Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Foydenhaus, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Foss line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. Oh, Dave Jackson, I'm losing my mind. I know we've got, I think, four former city council members living in Lake Sherwood now. Lana Kennedy, Doug Mays just moved out mm-hmm. to the Lake Sherwood community, and Jim Gardner. Mm-hmm. God, who am I missing? That'll be your oh. assignment for next week. <laughs> yes, it will. Um, yesterday's paper. Yes. You have got a bone to pick. Uh, well... Not exactly a bone, but they were talking about the savings that we could achieve uh, in the city projects if the city gets the turns over their federal grants to the state, and then they come back to the state in the form of um, state grants, which will alleviate Mm -hmm. on our traffic um, engineering a lot of federal requirements. But what they failed to mention, and I've called it to John Alcala's attention, and he said he would look into it for me, what they failed to mention was the biggest cost driver 
that drives up costs is the fact that the city requires Davis-Bacon wage rates, which are, are the, the published wage rates. These are uh, essentially uh, set by the government purportedly after they've done surveys, but uh, what they are basically is what the unions would like to see uh, for their for their mm -hmm. trades be charged, and so the city has has, a, has had that in long-standing practice here. That, as a as a contractor that bids on city jobs, that drives up cost more than any more than any other one factor is uh, besides you know, besides unnecessary design, of course. But you can uh, in on your labor burden part of your uh, job. Uh, Contractor has to mark up 15 or 20 percent for the additional paperwork, and the and or maybe a slight increase in pay that you might pay your employees. It's not that much for me uh, that I have to pay more, but it's the fact that you have to go through keeping track of specific hours on, while they're there on that specific job, what they're doing, uh, and then turn in this paperwork on a weekly or bi-weekly basis to your 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 own con the contractor that you're working for if you're not the prime or you have to turn it into the city and by the time they get done reviewing all of this stuff and getting getting stuff your pay you're out uh, at best you don't get paid for 60 days on a city job uh, because they they have to do this and then if you if your secretary or your bookkeepers put in a check the wrong thing on a box on this federal form then you get it back and you have to do it all over again it's just a mess and uh, that's a real, there's real significant savings there. We could close down that whole department in the city, save roughly, I don't know, that department's probably $500,000 a year just to watch paper, federal paper, come through for city jobs. Silly. And the inspectors that have to do that take the inf information. No, I did this. I did you're this not saying this is going to change, though. Well, Are John said he would look into it when I called him. Okay. Uh, but but this is but no, again, Davis Bacon's going to be backed by uh, getting into partisan politics. It's I mean, going to be backed by Democrats, basically, <clears throat> or uh, union people that were elected by the the uh, uh, firefighters in the city police department because they're the two largest donators to ca city campaigns. Basically, stands no chance of passage. Really, probably not. I mean, taking a look at our votes and John Ocala. Right, Democrat, and I've got a lot of respect for John. I know he thinks Republican a lot of times. He does, Democrat. and doesn't get any support from the unions. Right. Oh, okay. Sylvia Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Well, Sylvia Democrat. might be with John. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Well, maybe so. Okay. Jack Wolfel. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack probably would side with you on this one. Uh, Larry Walgast. No way. Uh, Larry, uh, very intelligent, very mm -hmm. competent, but also very Democrat. Mm-hmm. A very partisan. Probably the most uh, partisan individual we have on the council now. Karen Hiller. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of respect for Karen. We'll talk about her in a minute mm -hmm. because you and I are in agreement on Karen Hiller, but Democrat, I think. Democrat. I, yeah, I suppose she is. I don't know. Deborah Swank, mm -hmm. got to be Democrat, mm -hmm. <laughs> big time, <laughs> because she is liberal. Bob Archer, mm -hmm. right now you've got two votes, maybe three. Wolfel, Archer, maybe Akala. Yeah. Jeff Preisner, yep. registered Republican, but very liberal. Mm -hmm. Richard Harmon, mm -hmm. registered Republican. Really? I don't know. Maybe it's it's yeah. possible. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, the other the other uh, uh, windmill to joust out is uh, joust at is uh, of course Karen's proposal to go debt free, and that's fantastic. If yes, we could do that, we would save so many millions of dollars in interest. We just have to tighten our belt for a little bit, and um, gosh knows we got enough money coming in with that one percent extra sales tax to fund all kinds of stuff. 
if they would actually just move on something and do do things a little more efficiently. In fact, I read that in the paper. I was going to call Karen, and I need to write her or call her or something just to say I had a girl. Mm -hmm. But I was going to get her on the show Monday at 9.30. I had an opening. Mm -hmm. I said, Karen Hiller, Merle Blair, to talk about 50 years of radio. I went with Merle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But Karen's absolutely right, and a great guest. I'll try to get Karen on in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Because uh, I agree with you. We need to talk about a little bit of gardening. Well, we need to talk about a lot of it. Um, Okay. First, what's coming up this weekend at Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center? And, folks, if you have a question or a comment, chem.kates at cjonline.com. Well, of course, poinsettias. My goodness. I, mm. Today is a big delivery day. We take, um, I've delivered eight, 70 out over to Camco, uh, which is a Kansas uh, medical insurance, a mutual insurance company. Uh, for, they buy them for their employees. Beautiful 8-inch. Uh, poinsettias went there. 200 and some are going out to, 220 are going out to um, Shawnee Heights. Jesse Bourjean's uh, uh, wife is the uh, counselor or the uh, um, advisor for the the, uh, Scholastic Honors kids, and they do that for their annual fundraiser. We're going to send about 250 out there. I'll take them. Hmm. And some over to Highland Heights United Methodist, I believe I'm stopping at. Several, but... uh, We've got, still got, like three or four thousand poinsettias available for purchase. That uh, people ought to come in. They're they're just the nicest that you'll see in town. I saw them last week, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. when I was out to Jackson's at 19, uh, 1933 Lower Silver Lake Road. I was out getting grass seed of all things last yeah, week, right? Because yeah. I want to be prepared. We'll get into that a little later in the show. You know, mm-hmm. when we have that first snowfall. But on poinsettias. Now, 30 years ago, there were basically two colors. Mm-hmm. Today, there's how many? Oh, gosh. But you've got a Jackson's. How many we have colors uh, of Jackson's? Of types or whatever, we have about uh, 14 or 15 different types of uh, poinsettias in terms of the red, pink, uh, white. Then, of course, you have the peppermint, your marbles. Then you have the carousel that looks uh, that's got the wavy, uh, ripply leaf, and you've got the china rose. Or the uh, uh, yeah winter rose I'm sorry winter rose that ha- has a bloom that looks like a rose just uh, striking. I didn't see the carousel. What's that now? That's kind of the one that's got the really uh, ripply ruffled uh, bloom. Kind of neat. Hmm. And then uh, there's peppermint, which is a uh, another beautiful. One. Oh, I love the peppermint. Yeah, yeah. people do, um, and so forth. Uh, all together, there's there's quite a there's quite a number. There's different shades of red, over that go over the reds now go over into the burgundy colors where you've got way way darker ones than the, the standard red. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, it's fun. Um, it keeps our people busy. It we, you know we probably bottom line we don't make any money on the poinsettias at all. Uh, lucky not to lose money actually, but it keeps the the people our good folks hired and. Uh, during the season, and or during that bus- unbusy season, I need to maybe look at uh, doing a different crop or, or reducing what we grow next year. Because uh, if folks don't get out and buy these, we're we're going to be left with uh, uh, quite a few. Last year, we donated 500 to uh, uh, Meals on Wheels, oh, so, okay. so that the shut-ins would get a poinsettia gift. Now, how many did you grow last year as opposed to this year? Same amount, six thousand. Six thousand. Mm-hmm. Good night. 
But we're sold out of the 10-inch red. We are absolutely, they're all gone. They were gone like the first week. Those are the ones that are thirty-two ninety-nine a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got other colors. And, of course, there you are. People calling around, I'm told that they we're the only ones that have a 10-inch poinsettia this year. Uh, they're just, I mean, they're just spectacular. And you saw them, I think, probably. Mm-hmm. Great mm-hmm. big, huge ones. We put four poinsettias in one pot, and it just becomes a, a shot of color. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, uh, how green, long will poinsettias last after the Christmas holidays? Ours last clear into April or May. Customers come and tell us. Now, I had a, uh, I had somebody, a little old lady, call me today, whose daughter had bought her one from one of the chain stores or whatever, and the leaves were falling off of it already. Mm. And um, so it it varies by where you buy them. The thing that's different with us is you don't if you buy a poinsettia from us, it doesn't leave the store without being fully wrapped and boxed so that you're not going to have that poinsettia exposed to any negative weather because these are a tropical plant they uh, and just a cold draft of air will will wilt those leaves right up so um she uh, of course was had got it last week and now the leaves are all falling off and she doesn't know what to do i said well and she bought it or the daughter gave it to her last friday and if it came in if they took it out of the store not fully dressed, just through the parking lot and into the car and then then out of the car and into the mother's house, it's goner. I mean, if, if the weather's below uh, 30 degrees, it's just, that's just that simple. So uh, folks that think they're getting a bargain and pick up a 7 or $8 poinsettia at Walmart, carry it out in their shopping cart without being sleeved and boxed on a cold day, it's going to last about a week. So a week mm-hmm. or f- five months, take your chance, pick. You can do whatever you like. But anyway, if we put them in the, we installed them, we can install them at the federal mm-hmm. building. Those poinsettias will be there until 1st of April. Wow. So you've got uh, three to 4,000 left. You've sold a couple of thousand. You've got mm-hmm. three to 4,000 to go. So wide well, selection. I, mm-hmm, wide selection right now. We do, we'll be delivering poinsettias to churches. The Catholic churches prefer not to get them until... New Year, I mean uh, Christmas Eve day. They don't. Uh, that's their tradition. The poinsettias come in for New Year's. I mean Christmas Eve services. So that's uh, when those get delivered. But so we'll take care of those. They're all set off. But you can come in and see three or four thousand. We have probably fifteen hundred that are not sold at this point. To be honest. So okay. Still a pretty wide selection. Mm-hmm. So you still have what out of the fourteen different colors and types, twelve left. Twelve of the fourteen. Sure, there's a like there'll be shortages in certain sizes. That's the way it works. Okay. All right. And again, this would be by far and away the largest selection you're going to find in Northeast Kansas. Yes. Okay. The only uh, you can't shop there. The only other grower in this part of the state is uh, uh, at Council Grove, and uh, they have the. Neosho Gardens, but they're wholesale. Okay. Somebody that wants to purchase uh, a lot of them, is there a bulk discount? Oh, sure. You get past 10 and the prices drop 40, 50%. Okay. From okay. retail. Okay. So, folks, again, if you're looking for gifts for several people, mm-hmm. uh, talk to Dave and talk to anybody. Right. We do Jackson's. this. Right. We uh, deliver individually, for example, for uh, 
Oh, Shriners and, and some of the contractors that want to thank their customers through the year, we'll, we make individual deliveries, and they get they get the bulk price and then plus the delivery added on to it. So anyway. Okay. So you can check that out, folks. Uh, again, 1933 Lower Silver Lake Road or 232-3416. We need to take a break. Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. And we'll be answering your gardening questions if you have one or uh, lawn care questions over the winter. That's where we're headed when we return. Stay tuned. More to come. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers top-of-the-line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, LA Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Foydenhaus, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Frost line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. Yeah, you know everybody in Topeka. Well, uh, that's not true. I'd, <laughs> I'd like to. 
not really would, but uh, I don't know all of the folks. But well, not everybody. I would, would care not to become acquainted with the folks that uh, belong to the gangs. But B-E-V-E-R-S, mm-hmm. there's still some beavers around mm-hmm. Topeka then? Mm-hmm. Huh. I think there's some still there. Occasionally um, we'll run in, one of the boys will come in that uh, Annette went to school with hmm. and uh, or um, Sunday school with. At, uh, you might ask which one of them recorded. I'm trying to think of it. Pamela, I think, is the name of the song. Pamela is the name of the song. Yeah. So, uh, 20, 45 collector. It's just ran across that record. I've been mm-hmm. collecting for, God, years. Mm-hmm. First time I'd ever seen or heard of the group. Not, mm-hmm. not bad. So. 2007 North Topeka. No, uh, North Kansas. North Kansas. Oh, 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 they recorded. Okay. What uh, recording studio would have been a 2007 North Kansas? Uh, well. Where's that from the Moose? Is that close? Is that's the, north of the Moose. Highway 24 is northwest 25th. And so you back down from there. You get to the Lyman School at Lyman. Uh, and Aunt Margaret's house on North Kansas was 1933. So it's going to be on the east side. Um, second house, uh, it's going to be you know, at practically Independence and North Kansas Avenue, and it's going to be on the east side. But there'd be a residence rather than mm-hmm. that. One of the Beavers must have lived at 2007 North Kansas then. Must have, must have. One of those garage recordings, maybe. Or something. That's got to be it. Okay. Huh. Interesting. All right. <laughs> now, on to lawn and garden. Yeah. <laughs> That's this. We talked about poinsettias and and uh, and what and what's going on with those. It's still our bulbs. You can still we've got been blessed with a great fall. We've got bulbs on. If you buy ten dollars or more, we you get fifty percent off on these beautiful high quality Dutch bulbs. And we've got a bunch left. Um, now's the time, boy. Get out and get them uh, and get them planted for early spring beauty next year. You've got uh, of course crocus that come up first thing in the spring along with the snowdrops they're called because they come through the snow. There's all kinds of bulbs besides just tulips. I mean, there's all kinds of beauty. You can just fill a garden with that. You layer your bulbs at different depths and because based on the size, there some are going to be shallow and you'll have it, then you'll just have a myriad of color in the spring in this particular uh, spot if you've got picked out that would be maybe near the near the entrance where you where you go in. Just lift your whole day when you leave in the morning or, or see them as you're coming home from work at night. And many of them, most of them, will give, well, tulip, good quality tulip will give three or four years of great color before you have to replace them. Many of them are, will naturalize where you'd never have to replace them. They just will be there every spring. So it's a great investment to beautify your home. Put them in the ground now mm-hmm. until... Well... Until the ground freezes, for sure, you're not going to get them in the ground very hard easily if the ground's frozen. I've noticed that about ground. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a uh, but, and then uh, so, so anyway. right up until you have that hard freeze mm-hmm. where you can't dig anymore, you'll be okay. You'll be okay, right? So if it's 15 degrees, and if you can still dig, then you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Okay. And of course. Uh, Tree planting, this is the time to really get some bargains on trees because I've just got a new semi-load of trees in. Had to get a whole semi-load to finish a job up at Northwest 46, the roundabouts up there. Evidently, the job got done uh, a little bit under budget, and we there was money left to put in. I believe we put in 38 uh, new trees, 
white pine and and a chanticleer pear that'll be along the north side of high of uh, northwest 46th from uh, along Howard Paul's uh, frontage there uh, where they uh, widen the uh, widen the road and put those roundabouts in. So that'll be pretty. Is Howard anyway, Paul still living up there? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 52nd Street. <clears throat> okay. I haven't seen him. Or 50th. I forget. Yeah, 50th. Yeah. I haven't seen Howard and years and folks who were talking about. This is one of Topeka's uh, most influential citizens. In fact, years ago, the Capital Journal listed uh, the top 50 most influential Topekans, and Howard Paul was named as the number one person. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would have been back in the early 90s, mm-hmm. maybe, late I know 80s. he's certainly had run-ins with the city council on, <coughs> on occasion, and he wasn't bashful about <coughs> telling them exactly what he thought. Uh, and for that, you've got to... But he's, uh, he develops Walgreens stores all practically all over this part of the nation. Whenever a Walgreens store being built, it's usually been a hired Paul mm-hmm. uh, product, just to name one. He was in with uh, Jerry Whitmer on a couple of farmers' home projects that I... When I was with Midwest Management, we managed and stuff. And he's still around. Well, Howard was very, uh, very much involved in the Walgreens and Fleming place because, again, uh, the, uh, the residents around the old Fleming place mansion said, "We want you to retain the integrity, the look of the Fleming place," because mm-hmm. they moved that old mansion out uh, west of River Hills, somewhere out in there. Now. Oh, is that where it went? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Right down the hill from the theaters at River Hills is where the old mansion is. But they no said, kidding. when you build the Walgreens in place of this, mm-hmm. we wanted to have some of the same structural appeal that mm-hmm. Fleming Place Mansion did. Okay. And they did. Uh-huh. You know, the Walgreens still has, you know, the columnar oh, look. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the Howard Paul project. I haven't seen him in years. Does he stop by the store, Jackson's Greenhouse? No, he calls and sends his people out. Hmm. We, uh, Good customer. Just Has been. Has been. Yeah. Yeah, I just haven't seen him in, oh my gosh, it's been, it's been years. Mm-hmm. Well, this is old home week. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, trees, trees <clears throat> shrubs, I mean, uh, trees do more to clean up and, and keep, I mean, if you're going to do something, we'll talk about sustainable and carbon and all that kind of stuff, trees planted uh, are just an incredibly great way to, uh, to uh, beautify your yard and your environment. Plus, do great things for the environment, and the climate, all of that kind of stuff. Because trees are a cooling factor in the in the climatology. If you're a believer that we think that the world is the globe is warming, trees trees counteract that because they uh, they absorb carbon dioxide. Love carbon dioxide. As a matter of fact, uh, we are actually uh, folks that are worried about carbon dioxide. We're way 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 short for for prime growth for trees. Uh, they would love it if we had about two or three times as much carbon dioxide in the air than we do right now, which does nothing to harm us as, as human beings. Additional carbon dioxide up to that three or four times the level that we have it right now would not hurt us one bit. And we would uh, uh, actually, uh, then the carbon, uh, the uh, cooling effect that the trees have will bring more moisture into the atmosphere. We'll have more rain. It'd be just a whole lot uh Better the, cli- the the people that gripe about carbon dioxide just are way way off base. So I mean they're 180 degrees polar to what what really should be happening. But anyway, you can't fight 
You can't fight the big money. That's where the money is. People out like Al Gore and stuff have made their millions and millions on scaring people. But so plant a tree uh, for many, many reasons, and they're half price or a third off, depending on how many you buy. Fruit trees, of course. We've sold more fruit trees this past uh, two years since the recession set in than we than we'd sold in the four or five years put together before that. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. That just stands to reason. That's what people would buy. Sure. Yeah. And uh, of course, they mm-hmm. are. Uh, there's a new great. Uh, Great. You have to spray fruit trees, but uh, we do have fully organic sprays that uh, will work. That you don't, uh, if you're concerned about the environment. <coughs> Whoop! Hit the. There you go. Anyway, uh, we're good with uh, planting fruit trees. They're on sale as well. Shrubs. We and again, same thing applies. If you mm-hmm. can dig, you can. It's plant. okay to plant mm-hmm. as long as you can dig. Right. Plant. And our guys are starting to get caught up. And uh, if you wanted us to do it. Uh, we could probably get on it uh, next week. Oh, most of our, all of our big projects are done now. We just finished at the Curtis building. You know, they had the big uh, uh, redo at the front end of the Curtis building. And uh, what they redo? I never go down 10th Street. You don't? Okay. Well, what they redid was that courtyard in front. Uh, mostly the reason that they redid that um, was because they. Uh, uh, unbeknownst to many people, they put a tunnel in there over to that building, and they had to do some. They did some re- uh, digging across through there. Now the tunnel connects uh, the Curtis Building to the Capitol, mm-hmm. also Judicial Center. Did we put a tunnel in to connect anything with the Judicial Center? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, but I, just that, the Capitol. Yeah, that that I not that I'm aware of. I guess that's a different division of government. It's not the executive branch. Yeah, anyway. I just, uh, you know, if I'm in downtown Topeka, well, I take the interstate. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, I'll go down 6th Street, but mm-hmm. I haven't been down 10th, and it's been a while. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been in the Capitol, sorry to say, as far as really taking uh, a tour of the Capitol in quite some time, mm-hmm. which I need to do. As well, well, we worked with Kansas Building Systems on the, that job. They were the prime, for, at least for the above-ground work. I don't I don't know exactly who did the tunneling or tunnel repair or whatever, but that's that's it's not really for passenger uh, personnel people. It's for uh, communications and uh, that kind of thing, and for your utilities. That's what the tunnel's for. Oh, okay. So this isn't uh, an underground passenger route at all. You can get through. Because service people have to get through, but it wouldn't be where the general public would okay, go. Okay, okay. I've been in the tunnel t- to a certain extent. They showed it to me. This is the one headed out southeast from the tunnel, from the Capitol building. And uh, that was in scary, poor condition when I was a senator there. And that's part of the reason I supported upgrading tunnels. I know you were against tunnels or whatever, but um, <clears throat> they really made more sense. Uh, not from a passenger standpoint. But for a uh, for the use of the utilities, uh, and it would have saved a lot of money uh, in terms of the boilers mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Anyway, yep, time for a break. He says it is time for a break. Uh, by the way, coming up Monday morning, don't forget Tim Rancher, eight o'clock. Joseph Crosdale, former UPI bureau chief for Canada, is going to be on at eight forty-five talking about WikiLeaks, and he has a personal involvement, personal stake in this story. By the well, by the way, and then at nine thirty, Merle Blair is coming on. 
And for those of you that are long-time Topekans, Merle Blair has had 50 years on Radio on Topeka. So we're just going to take a trip down memory lane. It's all coming up when we return. Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers top of the line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, LA Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Foydenhouse, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Frost line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lower Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. And we're back. Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. Well, I'm not looking forward to the first snowfall, but I am prepared. Because I was at Jackson's uh, a week ago. Oh. I think uh, a week ago yesterday, I believe. You were out on delivery, I think. I talked to Annette. Mm -hmm. uh, So I got my tri-power seed. I'm ready to go when we have that first snowfall. I think what I'm going to do... If there's a 90% chance of snow, I'm going to put that seed on the ground first. I'll just let the snow soak it under the ground rather than putting the seed on top of the snow. You said why either one. Why don't you do a, yeah, either one works. Why don't you do a test? 
half and half. And well, then report back in the spring. We've got so many <laughs> geese, though. Oh, I see. You know, we've got a lot of wildlife out at Lake Sherwood. Mm-hmm. My concern is, is to lay that seed on top of the snow. Mm-hmm. That's going to be quite an attraction it for a hungry be. goose. It could be. I don't know. So that. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to get that seed down and get it protected. Well, get your up, upland game license and then whack a few and have <laughs> a Christmas goose. I've never had a goose. Have you? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Sure. Good. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I've had duck once, and mm-hmm. there won't be a second try. Mm-hmm. I just didn't care for duck at all. Just ugh. I think I saw a goose in a uh, some goose in the Dylan's meat case here just yesterday. Really? But I wasn't attracted to buy it. Tastes like duck. Somewhere? Well, it's it's yeah, it's, it's it's stronger than turkey. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, a bit uh, oily, oilier, I guess. At least the way it was fixed, the way I did it, or not, I didn't fix it. Whoever, wherever I had it, and that's been a while. And I, I'm with you. It won't bother me if I miss the next goose dinner that comes. Around. Yeah, well, I've never had one of those, but oh. Duck convinced me that I just not going to go in that direction for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, for that reason, I just don't want to lay that seed mm-hmm. on top of the snow. Come but, on, uh, you got to feed the birds. <laughs> not with a tri-power seed, I'm not going to feed the birds. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. not going to happen. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. But like we'll, you said, any time's a good time to seed. You know, now that we're in December to February is a great time for for dormant seeding, and and the, mm-hmm. the I like the opportune time, just like you've described it ahead of the snow, rather than after the snow. And I really um, um, think that that's that brings that seed down and and makes it so that, as you've said, the ducks can't get to it. It'll be wet or geese, or robins, or sparrows, whatever's out there. I really don't have to prepare the soil, right? Mm-mm. I mean, if, if it was a dead spot last summer, I don't have to go out and scratch and dig it up. and No, because the, the, the snow and the freezing and thawing will carry it right down to the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so unless you've got a really, unless you've got a half inch or, or more than, a, let's say more than a, more than a quarter solid inch of, of uh, uh, thatch, uh, it'll do fine. It'll carry on down to the to the soil and come up through. It'll be fine. It'll be Good great. Enough. Just mm, what happens a lot, uh, and we need to caution people is uh, don't throw out too much. I mean, we're talking. If you're <coughs> counting or trying to take a look, it's uh, make a uh, make a square inch on a white sheet of paper, and then uh, put 12 uh, to 14. Little short lines, quarter inch lines on the on that in that square inch, and that's what your seed should look like after you're done, when you're throwing it down. If it's if you've got twice that amount, then you're putting yourself at risk for the diseases next spring. Uh, you know the the uh, brown patch, uh, phytophthora, blade rot, uh, all of those kinds of things, just not good. So uh, planting too much is worse than not planting enough. If you don't plan enough, then you've always got the opportunity to add Come a little bit more next fall, or do or do something like that. But you won't wind up with a with an absolutely bare patch again. But that's what you wind up with if you put down too much seed. Okay. And, uh, so anyway, we. Uh, okay, so folks, now is a good time to go out and buy your seed. Yeah. And be prepared, and it's that's a, what we did. Right. Um, we just want to be there and ready. The price on the seed is the lowest it's been in three years at least. And uh, due to, the, of course, the uh, 
economic conditions that houses aren't being built and grass seeds not being used in the quantities if they were building new houses and that kind of stuff. Anyway, that having said that, that's uh, an opportune time to uh, get that done. Um, we have uh, house plants are 25% off if you need them to dress up and don't want a poinsettia to add to your the beauty of your house. or uh, And, of course, indoor plants also make your atmosphere, indoor atmosphere, healthier according to NASA studies. And we have a deal, uh, we have a whole new crop of cactus that we grew this year that we, uh, if you get to the bottom of the ad, there's a table of cactus that's buy one, get one free. So we rarely run cactus on sale, but uh, because we did uh, grow these ourselves, uh, our cost basis is much lower. And so we're offering them buy one, get one free for a limited time through Christmas. Okay. You're not growing Sororo cactuses, are you? Oh. The kind we used to see on the old Cisco kid with uh, the long arms. Saguaro, yeah. Saguaro, is that how it's pronounced? Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any big ones. I can bring one in. Those are cost you a couple hundred dollars. Uh, but no, uh, I don't think Saguaro is one of the ones that uh, uh, is in that, was in that mix. Not sure. Hundred percent sure because they don't. It's a it's a it's a mix, and they don't. The grower doesn't label them very well. That's one that you see in Arizona, Southern Arizona, mm-hmm. especially with the big arms. And yeah, mm-hmm. and folks, the things you don't want to do is pull off to the side of the road and dig one up yourself, and in hopes that you're going to bring it home. Your uncle is going to be watching you. Uh, yes, Uncle Sam. <laughs> That's what I understand. Uh-huh. Who was it that was telling me the story? I can't remember. Somebody from Topeka years ago mm-hmm. did just that. Yeah, was digging one up. And I can't remember what the fine was, but it was substantial, mm-hmm. a substantial sum of money. Right. Yeah, for pulling off the interstate and attempting to <laughs> bag one of these, yeah, mm-hmm. pull it up and bag it and take it home. Well, they wouldn't grow in the outdoors. Oh, no, not mm-hmm. in Kansas. You have to have a, anyway. a, a, one of the sunrooms or something to do that. Yeah. And yeah. that better be a tall one because uh, eventually. But, yeah. Uh, Saguaro can be grown from seed, and uh, people do. And I don't know. Uh, that'd be a good idea to maybe see if how big I could grow one. Well, it would be from uh, seed or from uh, from the little starts that we get in. That would be because they'll grow. Uh, they'll grow to what height in the desert? Oh, what do you see? Fourteen, fifteen feet tall out there. Easy. Yeah, that's what I was going to. Yeah. Wow. I don't know uh, what the record world record is. I'm sure there is a world record. I just don't know it. We are out of time. I know it. I hate it. 1933, Lower Silver Lake Road, 232-3416. And we will see you. You're going to be open Saturday and Sunday. Of course. Sunday hours. 10.30 to 4.30. We open a little earlier on uh, Sunday than we have in the past. All right. We will see you next Friday. Great. Folks, we'll see you uh, Monday morning. Christmas trees. We forgot Christmas trees. But well, we'll, we'll talk real about quick. that. Well, let's do it real we quick. We've got the best Christmas trees in town. All the people say it at great prices. Delivered one out to Alma to the St. John's Lutheran Church yesterday, as a matter of fact. Wow. There's Check it out. That's a 1933 Lower Silver Lake Road. Fresh Fraser furs. These aren't dried up. They smell like a Christmas tree. They are just great. Let's talk about that next week. We will. We will. Folks, have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday morning. Tim Richer, Joseph Crosdale, Merle Blair. That's who we've got scheduled. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Monday. I'm Jim Keats.